this was Lorraine Bracco's performance in the second film we'll talk about today. Was it pre pre Sopranos? It was right there, right before. It's like Oof. right there, because like February, because this 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 one we're gonna talk about today came out February first, nineteen ninety eight, and I believe Ooh. the Sopranos debuted in nineteen ninety nine. Wow, mistaken. I can. We could do a quick yes, yes, indeed, indeed. January tenth of nineteen ninety nine. So, boy, she may have been given that first pilot script. Ooh, on set. <laughs> On set, delivered yeah. to her, <laughs> to her in Toronto, and she was like, "There is a God. I have hope. Yeah, I have hope. I'm no longer in the wilderness. <laughs> no longer <laughs> fighting for my life in like the gray. Hold, hold from the woods. I was in Goodfellas. <laughs> I was in Goodfellas. Get me out of here, <laughs> please." <laughs> she always, she always scream, screaming in Goodfellas, Henry. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the award-winning podcast, The Academy Academy, the show that discovers the absolute, undeniable, and scientifically proven greatest performance in your favorite actor's esteemed career. I'm Don Saunderson. I'm Patrick 20, uh, one, two, ah, fuck that, I'm Patrick Gremion. I don't know what I was trying to do. I think I was trying to do Walter Matthau saying Pelham 1, 2, 3, and it just, it came out bad, folks. I'm just Rico, Rico, stop trying to be funny here. We got a situation. <laughs> Welcome to the Academy. (laughs) And welcome to a very special episode of Scott. Scott, this week, that's going to go off the rails. Oh, Ooh, do you hear that? Mm -hmm. Rails. There's rails we're talking about today. Because, of course, we Mm. are talking about the taking of Pelham 1, 2, 3, and of its incarnations. Oh, man. (laughs) Including possible future fantastical versions of it. Hypothetical <laughs> taking a Pelham one two threes. It, oh, yeah. we've been excited about this one, and I don't think it's going to disappoint because we had a lot of fun watching these movies. I mm. went crazy and I read the book in two Ooh. days. <laughs> it was good. We'll talk about it. I love it. I'm so uh, I'm so stoked. Yeah, this is just like you know. Hey, folks, you've heard of everything everywhere all at once, but every Pelham one two three. Everywhere all at once. Now wouldn't that everything. be? Wouldn't that be something if Garber <laughs> was just take like trying to stop this train robbery in different dimensions and different styles all the time? It's like, whoa! This is a Garber with hot dogs for fingers. What Jeez. the hell? What give the Sam. What the Sam Hill? Give, give him an Academy Award. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Did you pick the Daniels to direct your um? Hypothetical taking a film one two three. Uh, I know a little director named Taika Waititi, sir. <laughs> needs to add a little heart. A little, a little heart. Bit. He's gonna play both Garber and Ryder as well. Also, Garber's gonna have an imaginary friend who's uh Mussolini. <laughs> yeah, he's gonna add like shoehorn Putin in there for some sort of commentary on the Ukraine war. Yeah. Um, actually, it's gonna be um, the the uh, the big che- the big uh, Cheeto himself, Waititi, oh. as his imaginary the part friend, he was born Donald to play. <laughs> the part he was born to play. He's <laughs> imagining Taika Waititi in the blonde wig or whatever. Oh, and the orange. It'll happen. It's going stop to happen. He, they gotta like handcuff him to like a radiator to get to stop him from doing that. 
<laughs> he can't help himself. He can't help it. He's he like, it'll, be, it'll be so funny. Like, it's like the Marvel, like Chris Hemsworth and Kevin Feige and all those folks come in for intervention. Like, yeah, like, even <laughs> Ryan Reynolds shows up. He's like, even I think you've gone too far. <laughs> yeah, I can't. I'm and I'm freaking Deadpool. <laughs> yeah, I'm a crazy ass Deadpool. <laughs> I'm a damn crazy guy. <laughs> I'm like, I'm a little, just a little off kilter, a little <laughs> different from your normal superhero. <laughs> Most people are regular chips. I'm freaking salt and vinegar. Yeah, so I'm a little <laughs> spicy. <laughs> oh my god, uh, we're already off the rails. Feel my heart. I feel my ghost leaving my body. <laughs> feel the ghost every time we bring up Ryan Reynolds. Like, uh, like a little bit of my soul. You <laughs> might him get tortured in Blade Trinity and sidelining Wesley Snipes. Yeah, oh, dude. Yeah, he did. <laughs> throw, throw that guy in the underwater face-off prison. Okay, yeah, moving on. Anyway. <laughs> moving on. Nah, just kidding, Reynolds. We love you. We love you, Van Wilder. Yeah. <laughs> classic Re- character, classic Van Wilder. Classic character, Van Wilder. <laughs> oh, <laughs> the classic guys. Yeah, he's in my. He's in the Pantheon. Uh, you know, Scrooge, uh, <laughs> uh, Zeus, uh, Van uh, Wilder, the big three. The big, yeah, the big three <laughs> characters. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, all right, so um, we will be getting to Tony Scott's taking in Pelham One Two Three as as we get into this episode, but we're first going to talk about kind of the history of this. I was I was called it a franchise, but it's not a franchise because it's yeah. the same story over and over again. These yeah. are just continuous remakes or rethinks on it, and I always think it's like it's an interesting thing because it's um. They're kind of only seem. I don't know if you think this way. They're only looking at what's directly ahead of them, mm-hmm. in like the remake process. So they're remaking what follows rather than going back to the book each time mm-hmm. out. Is what I felt. So to start with the book called "Taking a Pelham One Two Three, written by John Gotti, not God, not John Gotti, G O D E Y. Yeah, it's very uh, unfortunate uh, pet name. It also, yeah, pseudonym for an actually dope real name, Morton Friedgood. Like, Ooh. cool name, dude. So but isn't apparently, like, just really quickly. Uh, just, oh, you are sorry. Just no, no worries. It doesn't like Vin Diesel have like an actual cool name. Oh, that's a good question. That's a good. <laughs> Good, good. Sorry, I know we're immediately going back off the rails again, but I'm pretty is it sure. As, like... is, is it as cool as, oh, his name is Mark Sinclair, which is also like an action guy name. Yeah. Also sounds like the name of the protagonist of Dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> or a guy who's like, shows up to like, fix up a house on the True TV. That is true. That is, he is definitely of the HD. He's like a property brother of some yeah. kind. But Vin Rare. Diesel, never stop, man. Never stop. Go name it yourself, Vin Diesel is badass. <laughs> and hey, maybe uh, he should be in one of the next uh, next uh, re- reincarnations of Pelham One Two Three. Who knows? Oh, that's an interesting thought. He could play either. Yeah, Garber or bad as Ryder. I think he's. I think he's Garber. You put, yeah, him in that hair, put him in that hair piece that he had in uh, the Cindy Lament movie. Find me guilty. Fuck yeah. yes. Oh, yeah. please. Oh, my God. 
Just have him play the character oh, he played. Have you ever seen Find Me Guilty? I've never seen it. I want to. Maybe we should... Uh, we were talking about uh, my birthday episode, and I am tempted to just do a Find Me Guilty one-off. <laughs> like, I'll make you watch um, Cindy Lamette's last movie before the devil knows you're dead afterwards so we can leave your birthday feeling great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, can be, we can start off a little funky, leave feeling good, at least, yeah, feel, leave feeling uh, feeling at home with the world after before the devil knows you're dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So... The uh, Morton Freegood, jo- uh, pen name John Gotti, uh, was a um, born in 1913. Wow. Long time ago. Um, and he was a writer for Cosmopolitan, Esquire, you know, wrote uh, publicity, worked in the motion picture industry, bounced around, was an infantryman during World War II, mm. and started writing um, books on the side. And mm. he kind of bounced between historical fiction and crime fiction. And um, his historical fiction, he wrote under his real name. His crime fiction, he wrote under the pseudonym. And I think it's because there is a level of, um, you know, people have accepted genre work mm-hmm. a little bit more at, for being needing being great or being bad not necessarily just all trash in the same mm-hmm. way but in like late 60s early 70s there was you know you know if you want to be a writer you're competing with like the james baldwin's and norman mailers of the world these like heavy hitting titans who went on tv and were like literate men you know, and the, er- so, the erudite members of high society, indeed, and not lowering themselves to the trash of like pulpy crime fiction, yeah. except pulpy crime fiction rules. And oh, it's, it's awesome! It's, it's awesome, and it's it's great fun to read. And so, I hope that um, someone told Morton in his lifetime. He died in April of two thousand six. That. Uh, I haven't read any of his other books, but I really liked the taking of Pelham one, two, three, the book. I thought it was really good. So the general story, I guess we should get into with the taking of Pelham one, two, three is pretty simple. A group of four um, men hijack a a crowded subway train in New Mm. York and demand a, um, they uh, what in the book it's one million dollars is the ransom mm-hmm. um and as these films and the story has progressed the money has gone up just within like the inflation of the universe one million dollars seems quite quaint today yeah and <laughs> uh, one thing that's funny is um seeing how the uh money like increases in price as we uh... As, yeah. as the as the Pelhams get more recent, <laughs> yes, indeed, indeed, and um, the gang will execute hostage one minute every minute unless they get this million dollar ransom within one hour. In the book, we we bounce between about thirty or so points of view. There, they have a little header above each paragraph with the character's name, and we go into what they're thinking in that moment. So we see the. We get in the minds of all four mm. of the criminals. We get in the minds of passengers. We get in the minds of 
um, tr the transit authority, cops, the mayor, all across the city. And it gives you this really awesome melting pot view, overview of New York in the early 70s. And this is the like fun city Serpico era of New York. So it's a filled with bile and vitriol and negative like negative opinions of anyone who's not your race um, oh my goodness <laughs> but it's character it's character based it's not from you know it's not yeah. the, it's not it's and some of the characters like the rider character is not he's he's like a cold sociopath but he's not overtly racist right, um, right, right. but like the welcome character is as nasty as you would imagine him to be oh 100 um, percent. the key characters in the novel though are rider longman welcome and and stever these are our four criminals um stever is a laconic brute who is described as he will he will do whatever you ask of him regardless of it's if it's violent because he's not smart Mm, oh, so is he the um, Hector Elizondo? No, character? he's not. He's oh, Wilson he... from Home Improvement. Oh, he's Earl. Oh, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, because I forget. And yeah, this is a character been... who they've never really been able to, like, nail. Because in the book, he doesn't like pop. He doesn't have, like, a thing. Like, being, like, kind of just laconic and quiet and kind of dumb. But in my opinion, he's the muscle. Gotcha. Like, the real muscle. Welcome thinks he's the muscle, but um, this is the real muscle. So he's like well, the smooth operator. Gotcha. Yeah. Joey Welcome is the ex-mafia thug who is a total psychopath. He's right. Hector Elizondo, and gotcha, down the line we'll, gotcha, we'll talk gotcha, about gotcha. him. And he's like the hothead of the uh, Donnie Wahlberg. He's the hothead of the group. God, and the yeah. one that they're, we're not so sure about in his mindset is very r scary. When we get in his seat, because he's checking out the women on board, like all sorts of yeah, skeezy material. Skeezy material. Longman is the brains behind the operation. He's the former uh, transit authority worker, the shamed transit authority worker, who brings up, who kind of like offhandedly brings up the plan to a guy he meets at a in the book. He meets because we get flashbacks in the book about how these people meet, which oh is really God. great. Yeah, I love as that. Well, um, he meets at like a um, like liter like a um, like a job fair type place. He meets this guy Ryder, and Ryder is the lead of the criminals. And in the book, this is the coolest. He's a like a former straight up. He was in the U.S. military, and afterwards he didn't really know what to do with himself, so he became a hired gun mercenary. And he, like, Ooh. fought in Africa at the same time as, like, Che Guevara. Oh, my God. I, I know. That's that actually cool? That's cooler than, like, how they've done it every time. I know. every <laughs> Better than every single time. They drop it, and you're like, that is badass. And, like, he's, like, he's, like, just has blinders on he's and you begin to wonder as the book progresses like is he he just seems to be doing this as something to do mm -hmm. because he does not know how to function like he says he like i went into bond sales but it was kind of bored and 
you know, <laughs> like, like mm. it just didn't do it for me. Like this guy, like the action is the juice for this guy. Ooh, this is like a real got, he's Jeremy like Renner and Hurt Locker type. Yeah, except utterly soulless. Like he's not, he's not even like, um, he wouldn't even not, like save a kid or whatever. It's not, it's not a conflict to him that he does not have a soul. He's just like, I, this is just, he's, he's accepted it. This guy is like in the book. He's so fascinating. And like God, John Gotti, like kills it. Like, it's like, it's great. And you're like, this guy's so compelling, which is also why there is no lead cop character in the book, which is interesting because in, you know, like you think like, oh, we got to get like a, which I think is taken to its furthest most point in the Tony Scott version to turn into this one-on-one battle of Titans kind of deal. Yeah. It it becomes like a totally, um, now that there aren't shades of the, uh, this is New York, a fascinating microcosm element in his film, but it totally becomes more character driven specifically at tit for tat Denzel versus the star, the star power that he has in those two lead roles to the point where the other guys, even in the crew that I just described, we'll talk a little bit more about it when we get to the uh, the tony version but they are kind of sidelined mm-hmm. a bit for for john travolta's all powerful like yeah. take on it and travolta does not play him at all like the book i mean i have a feeling travolta never got near the book travolta just made a choice yeah how he was going to play it but basically this book comes out in 1973 it's an instant um instantly pretty successful book and um you know you could take you could feel the um you when you read it you're like it doesn't it's not it even if like it's the sprawling nature of it might scare you as a film producer it still has it's it's still got this great like it's a ticking clock movie it's like it's 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 a great thriller just Mm -hmm. above all else and you want to like you could see why they were interested in in adapting it and it only took a year for the movie wow. to come out they i mean the and i mean this is back in the day when you know hey let's make a movie <laughs> a little yep. bit more so than the <laughs> crazed schedules and so forth yeah well today. it's like yeah there wasn't like this crazy cgi budget and like uh franchise aspects or whatever it was just yeah we're making yeah, a movie yeah and this one you know there i think that yeah, and it wasn't like they're not going for like a, you know, summer blockbuster or something like that. You know, you're just going for like another, like, because we didn't have the options in 1974. It's like, man, that looks fun. Go to the movies. Yeah. You know, man, let's do why not? It. Yeah. yeah, let's do it. Fun idea. <laughs> so the movie rights are sold to a producer named Edgar J. Uh, Sherrick, who got mm. his start. Uh, he created the wide world of sports before going into move the movie biz and mm. he was the head of abc television that you know bewitched batman all sorts of stuff um and then he went into um uh producing films and his early films he did for a love of ivy the city portier movie the birthday party a very early billy friedkin movie Ooh. uh produced woody allen's first movie take the money and run um, mm. Heartbreak Kid, 
the, the great wow. Elaine May movie was a big success for him. But by 74, he um, moved into producing The Taking of Pelham 123, the movie, directed by Joseph Sargent. Joseph Sargent, um, a muscular director, directed one of my faves <laughs> the year before, White Lightning with Burt Reynolds, a movie I do love quite a bit. Yeah. But, you know, workman like action director, directed Jaws the Revenge. <laughs> Get a load of that. Ah, interesting. Yeah, there's like shades of Frankenheimer in this guy for sure. Like they're of the yeah. same. Yeah, Millie. Yeah, I think like you know workmanlike, but tough and like understood the job. Yeah, you know, and with this one, he's he's almost kind of like John Gotti in the sense, or uh, Morton Freegood, like yeah. in the sense that like he's like a. He's like the, the 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 dime store director, like a pulp novel. Like I know what I have to write. I got to get like ten thousand words in. I can get the job done. It's not always going to be, you know. I'm not making like high. Yeah, you get the sense that he's not like necessarily like a high art guy. He's like, yeah, but I think that there's something like what what I love and about this movie mm-hmm. is that it's not pretentious. Yes, that is, is the, yeah. and that's why it's a classic. Yeah, it's just like it man, works. it's like a banger. It's like it works. It's like it's yeah. just it's like very like lunch pail, bring you know, your yeah. go nine to five kind of movie. Yeah, but this is like, yeah. in this, this extraordinary movie. with this extraordinary circumstances around it. <laughs> um, the movie was adapted by Peter Stone, who probably best known uh, wrote uh, Charade, the Cary Grant, oh Audrey Hepburn movie. Parents uh, love that movie. Yeah, it's a good movie. Good um good screen good writer. And mm-hmm. the big thing going from the book to the movie, the big thing is that like we had there's a couple really neat touches that they make that I'll bring up. And we're going to do some spoilage here. Folks, got to talk a little bit about the end. We well, we got to talk a lot about yeah. the end actually cuz the end is the, yeah. Like this movie has one of the great final shots of all time. <laughs> um, it should like hang at the Louvre. It's one of the great one of the great uh, moments in cinema history. Oh, we should we should quickly note uh, David Shire does the score in a absolutely banging nineteen seventies, just unstoppable score. Like, it's so it's like it's such a perfect. It's and it, it never overstays its welcome. This isn't like a score heavy movie, but it's just mm. like and it's like I'm going to use a term that I'm going to borrow a term from you. Muscular. It is just a muscular, awesome. Like the intro music is so killer. Well, the intro music too, like sets you up. You're like, man, I'm in. Yeah, I want to be. I'm in. I'm in. I'm gonna watch this entire day. I'm gonna watch all 104 minutes of this movie. <laughs> like, I'm just yeah. I got my big old popcorn. I got my soda. I I'm, know. I'm, I'm I'm ready. I'm I I'm am in. ready. <laughs> uh, should note too, uh, cinematography by the late uh, only passed away a few months ago. Owen Roisman, great Ooh. great cinematographer, and kind mm. of like a key of that key 70s. You know, right? French French Connection, Exorcist, Three Days of the Condor, Network, Straight Time. I mean, like all those like that look. If you like that seventies look, this guy was like a key architect mm. of that. And this this movie played. This is like if you if you got an itch for nineteen seventies New York, look no further. 
than the taking of Pelham 123, 1974. It's, it's so 70s New York. I'm surprised like Sidney Lumet didn't direct this. Like it, mm. it feels so at home with like yeah, Dog Day Afternoon or Serpico. Yeah. Like it, yeah. And maybe it's like just like a hair more like a comic, like a, a fraction, but it's just it's it's just it's that same gritty. If you love like seeing weird guys being uh, doing crimes. This is like the movie for you. This is such a it great has that whole like crime. that you know. I mean, New York in like this time period was really like on the verge of full scale meltdown. <laughs> yeah, this does not seem fun. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like the fun city era of New York is like pretty grim, all things yeah. considered. Another one, I the landlord. Ooh, as well. Yeah. Um, but it's like. <laughs> everyone's kind of on the edge everyone's kind of burnt out everyone kind of hates everyone everyone's yep. deeply distrustful everyone has gone like full-scale like tribal with their groups yeah it's and... full on yeah that nixonian paranoia has like totally infected society at this point yeah and this was the breaking point too of the working class going full um nixon republican because like, they had yeah. like the hard hat riots and like the garbage strike and shit like that yeah. that was all going on and they had like the mayor was John Lindsay who was like one of these like ineffectual libs oh yeah <laughs> I wonder if uh, I wonder who I wonder if he gets poked fun at I wonder if he, in this yeah, he gets poked a little bit this yeah one. <laughs> I wonder if he gets taken down a peg by John Gotti I don't know we'll see <laughs> yeah know. it was a fascinating time I I did I I did this screenwriting project that didn't come to fruition about this era mm-hmm. and did a ton of research on it and it was Ooh, like really really um it was pretty pretty wild west Ooh. up through the 80s up through and i think the tony scott version actually portrays the aftermath in a quite mm-hmm. interesting way of kind of where things are at now or within the last 20 years of new york post 9-11 new york which is a little different than um it's certainly 74 New York. Um, yeah. But upon adapting the screenplay, Peter Stone um, started a trend that continues through the rest of the movies, which is we need a protagonist character mm. to do battle with our antagonists. Yeah, on and, and, every, and every man audience surrogate. If you will. If you will. Mm. And so um, in the novel, there is a character named Garber, does not have a first name. And mm. he's just a He's a lieutenant with the internal transit authority police. Gotcha. But he's one of many cops. And right. I don't believe he gets a point of view even. He's just mentioned. Oh, wow. And I don't know why that they chose him, that name for their person. Um, but that's what they went with. And in this one, he's he, they went with a – I like his name too, Zachary Garber. Very fun mm. name. And he is played by the legendary, the great Walter Matthau in a just iconic, like, <laughs> dude, dude's rock performance if there ever was one. It's, uh, he, there's like this air of like, I don't really give a shit to his, yeah, but, it, but, it, but it rules. It's like a spice that is effectively used. Like, he's just so, he's just so like nonchalant in, 
Until he's not. Like, occasionally, yeah. there's, like, little shades of... of, of he, he, in certain moments of the film, becomes very chalant. But, yeah. uh... <laughs> but, uh... Yeah. But, uh, like, especially, like, in the, the beginning, there is just kind of like this, oh, whatever, I'm here, I guess. I don't know. Like, I, He's just getting his... He's just getting his pay. He definitely does not live in Manhattan. He has a long ride home. Like, Oh, yeah. You know those dudes in Long Island. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and Probably. so he he's our surrogate. His partner in crime is almost as great, is fellow detective Rico Patron, Lieutenant Lu- Rico Patron, played by the equally awesome Jerry Stiller. Uh, I love this guy has been pretending to be Italian for so long. You, you got to love it. Yeah. It rules. It rules. Gotta, God bless him. God bless him. And so they are, are good guys, quote unquote good guys. They're also kind of racist. And like, yeah. In that very 70s, like very 70s way of like, oh, you know, that this is the time. This is new. It's, it, it is a slice of 1974 New York for better or for worse. Words and all. Yeah. Words and, and all. Yeah. And uh, I. Not necessarily a defense of the film's choices because they're pretty retrograde, uh, probably even for the time. But uh, at the very least, he get, does get portrayed as the asshole in the end of that. Like he is like the he's yeah. clearly he's clearly the dumbass. Like he's the guy who thinks that he's smarter. And then in the end, like there's a reveal. He gets his comeuppance. In, yeah. In, yeah. But so, it's, yeah. So key, some things to note here are bad guys. This is where a very interesting thing occurs. So in the novel, they're only known they don't um they're known by their name their real names. Mm-hmm. Ryder, Longman, Welcome, and Stever. In this, they decide to go by pseudonyms as part of their disguises. Um, and they go by Mr. Blue, Mr. Green, Mr. Gray, and Mr. Brown. Does that remind you of anything? Well, that would remind me of Reservoir Dogs. Mm. where they also use those same color-coded <laughs> pseudonyms. Uh, clear predecessor to this, and also the reason why these color-coded pseudonyms do not make it to the Tony Scott um, oh. taking a Pelham 1, 2, 3, because people would know by 2008, and people in, in 2008, you would think it was ripping off. Newer, younger <laughs> viewers would think it was ripping off for some more dogs. Oh, <laughs> bring it back. It's fine. It's fine. It's but fine. no, and Jen was talking about that with Tarantino. She's like, because no one wants to do the work to go into all of his influences, except for like real lunatics like me. Mm-hmm. Everyone thinks that they're like new, and they're and they become his in their own way, which mm-hmm. is it's it's interesting. He's a regular. Uh, he's a regular, Mister um, Mister uh, uh, Blue. It's a perfect crime. It is a yeah. perfect crime. In this one, Mr. Blue is played by the equally great uh, Mr. Blue, a writer, played by the equally great Robert Shaw. He's really good. He's really, really good in it. And he comes closest to the book writer out of all of the writers that we mm-hmm. meet. Um, boy, I'm going to say this a lot about this cast. Great. Martin Balsam is Longman, Mr. Green. He, yeah. It's so, there are like three or four V. Not VIP. There are three or four MVP performances in this, and he's he's up there. He's swinging with the best of them. He's just, he's so much fun, and he's like, what's great about him is he's like an everyman, but he also shows like 
kind of like the depths in every man will go if when money's he's, involved. He's, but he also becomes a weasel because of it. Yeah, he gets yeah. weaselified. He yeah, he, tra- yeah. he transmorphs into a weasel in front of us. It's not great. Gonna do a, I'm not going to do a Polly Shore. I thought about it. I thought about <laughs> doing a Polly Shore. <laughs> I feel you. I'm like, it is so funny. Like The more we do this podcast, the more I don't want to do impressions. Because it's like, maybe because it's hard and I'm lazy. It's like, impressions uh, are hard. They really tough. are. Like the people who could do them well, I'm at hey. tip of the tip of the cap. Tip of the cap. Hey, you're the real troops. <laughs> yeah, the real troop. The real troop is like <laughs> so... the real troop. Frank Frank Caliendo. <laughs> give him so... the medal of honor. <laughs> hey, Frank Caliendo, you can give that man the purple heart. Yeah, he's pretty yeah. good. He's pretty good at impersonations. Yeah, have you ever seen his impersonation of Robin Williams doing impersonations? That's like that's the equivalent to what happened to Black Hawk Down to me. That's everything, everywhere, all at once. Um, mm. Playing the role. Oh, and every time we see Heck, uh, Martin Balsam in a movie, Jen goes, where do I know that guy from? I'm like, everything. He was in every movie that came out from like 1955 to 1975. <laughs> <laughs> he was just, uh, he's a prolific friend. But he, um, I always say, oh, he's the guy who gets killed in the stairs in Psycho. Oh. That's, that's like the, that's like the easiest, like, Pinpoint, and I hope that helped the listeners too. It's like, okay, you know who that is now. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, Hector Elizondo plays Giuseppe Benvenuto or Joe Welcome in English, <laughs> Anglified version of his name. Yeah. <laughs> or Mr. Gray, the hothead member of the group, the uh-huh. the creep, the creepo. Yeah, and, a real stinker of a character. <laughs> real stinker, and um, the and how what happens to his character is what happens in the book. He's always executed by Ryder. That rules. That's good. Which he's always, like always the. That's always the plot choice. I would choose. I would always keep that one if I if if you you know have Ryder do it. Show Ryder's principles that he's like, this is the guy I wasn't sure about, and we got to stick to the plan. Hector Alexander's performance is great in this because it's like a textbook case of how to portray a how to portray an unlikable character like how to be like really compelling while being like just skeezy and uh un- and kind of reprehensible yeah. uh which other actors later on uh have trouble doing <laughs> which uh and i'll keep it at that for now or, but it's like or just simply play them as like try as eminem oh god or like they kind of think they're being really cool when they're doing it and they're not being cool at all they just suck i think i think it's just yeah i think like i don't know like yeah hector alexander great it's one of the great uh, performances in the the 70s there was like a the actors weren't as worried it seems about they were just wanted good like interesting like meat to chew on (laughs) for parts Mm -hmm. and they weren't worried about like how they came off in the mm. same way like i mean like like our favorite one of our favorite guys william smith was like a like a scholar who knew like eight languages and was like a decorated military veteran in almost every movie you see him in he is like playing a racist gangster like yeah. beating like as a bad guy and it's like pays the bills man you know it's I'm having a silly. Yeah, am I? Uh, I'm the bad guy in this uh, black exploitation film. All right, I'm All in. Right. I'm in. Yeah. yeah, I'll take it. Yeah. yeah. How many? And, how many? You and pay my rate? Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I think that there was like it, it wasn't the same level of like how am I going to come off? It was like yeah, I could just disappear and be with my family and 
you know, whatever. <laughs> well, yeah, it is like so much. I think like there is like we've been talking about like the lunch pail films and like just like that whole mentality that the workman like mentality that like take on art. Like I remember like reading Alan Moore talking about comics um, and how like it was truly comics used to be this truly blue collar thing, right? Like it was mm-hmm. truly like a like the people that were doing it we're not necessarily like stoked to be doing it almost. It was kind of like well, it's the same felt... thing we were talking about with crime novels too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah and it's just like, uh, now everything, everything's weird. high art. Yeah. Everything's high art and everything has to be elevated. And don't get me wrong. There are examples of high art everywhere. Sure. But it's and also there should like, be. there should be high art. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yes. Fuck yeah. There's, but there should also be, frankly trash yeah and here's the thing people are so like why are people afraid of just liking trash why are people afraid of i think like people like they feel like they need to be um validated like every artistic uh, i think it's because um so many people because we've been stripped of so much like autonomy and like personality in our lives that uh, what we watch is symbolic of everything from our morality to our intelligence. And it's a badge of honor to say, I watch this is us or something like that, you know, or like I support in the same way. It's like, I support the right political candidates. I support the right shows. And I saw the other day, though, Dragged Across Concrete was like the number one movie on Netflix, top 10 of movies. And I was oh like, oh, my God, there's, there's people learning a few things out here today. <laughs> I think that's proof that people talk a talk and then they walk a different walk. I, I think, think there's a so lot too. of. Yeah. Be honest. But be they honest finally got yourself. the shot to they finally got the shot to watch Dragged Across Concrete for free. And they're the little perverts out there going for it. <laughs> the little, little Vince Vaughn breaks. Like, I, know. <laughs> I, want to, I want to see this guy eat a sandwich for like 20 minutes in his We're car. just thinking about that too. How memorable was that, man? 10 oh, minute man. scene of him eating a sandwich. God <laughs> damn. Incredible. God, Incredible. God, God bless you. That's yes, Craig Zoller. <laughs> Talk about it. Yeah, one of the few filmmakers really walk at the edge these days. <laughs> like, yeah, oh yeah. He's yeah. He, yeah, he's a he's a, he's definitely the 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 stinker provocateur of today. I think though that makes that like I don't know like when I watch a movie, I want to be a little, I want to be a little thrown. I don't want to like fall into a pillow, and blank in the most comfortable silk sheets possible, and like lull myself into like a stupor of feeling good. I want to feel a little bad when I watch movies. Yeah, like, I like that. I like I like um. I think that there is, uh, I like, there is value in being challenged by art and mm-hmm. being made to feel uncomfortable. Uh, even if it's not, even if after it's over, you're like, that was not me. That was not for me, man. Like, yeah, that's fine. But like, yeah, being a little thrown, being a little uncomfortable, being a little like, ooh, yikes. Is that really happening? Yeah. You know, seeing, you know, seeing something. And sometimes I think it's good because, like, you know, you go watch something and you'll root for something and then you'll realize what you're rooting for maybe is horrible or maybe you'll something along or something along. Like, it, it can lead to self-reflection, I think. Well, and that's like an interesting thing. I watched um, 
for like the millionth time I watched Dirty Harry yesterday. Mm -hmm. And every time I watched Dirty like I was talking to friend of the show Jesse last night about it. It's like you bounce between like, yeah, these bureaucratic assholes. Dirty Harry needs to take care of this serial killer. And then you're like, oh wait, we should have rules. Like, you know, it's like mm -hmm. You're like bounce between the conservative and the liberal side of things. <laughs> like each time, you're like, but I like Clint's like cool. But wait a second, he's like really rough in people. <laughs> like, oh yeah, no, that's the thing. It's like, you and know, it is a... meant to like make you feel a little uneasy. Like, am I a fascist? No, I'm not. I hate fascists. <laughs> you know, it's like... Yeah, it is like it's it, it's an interesting. I think like um yeah, you know, being I able think to. S. Craig Zoller is looking at the same thing. With that mm -hmm. dragged across concrete, he's like daring you. Do you identify with these guys? How do you mm -hmm. feel about that? How do you feel about like these? Do you feel these guys were wronged? These absolute like goons. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like exactly. Mel Gibson's daughter can't walk home from the bus. <laughs> oh, God. It is just like that. Like, yeah, very much a. I think his, it's his a... cruelty. That entire sequence with Dexter's sister, the bank teller. Scene. Oh yeah, Jennifer Carpenter, great yeah. actor. <laughs> that like fifteen minute digression. Oh my god, yeah, it is just like a what a move. Wow, I don't know what where we got to, how we got yeah. to that one, but but yeah. it, well, it's just like I think it's just like I think like people don't have faith in um the average Joe. I think like well, I, I think people... I think the audience is way smarter. I think that's what you're getting at. The, yeah, like, then. Hollywood gives them credit for especially nowadays I feel like and it's so funny like watching like and don't get me wrong there's always gonna be like there will always be fucking lunatics that interpret art at face value and turn that in you know that's why people get fucking joker tattoos and shit like wait that till, wait know? till we do our fight club episode in a few weeks oh god i'm not looking forward to thinking we'll talk, about we'll that talk, we'll talk about that yeah <laughs> i'm exactly i mean i'm looking forward to it that's gonna be a great movie i'm just not looking forward to like all the the, the conversation discourse. The discourse. Yeah, discourse discourse but uh <laughs> but like yeah i think like there's always gonna be like those freaks are always gonna be around there's always gonna be people that read stuff wrong i think like yeah give people Give people faith. You don't have to like hold anyone's hands. Like we're adults, we can. I know. Yeah, we can people handle this. Be, there, oh, yes, and you're right. There is always going to be a handful of people who read things in a very literal way. But that's inevitable. That's like but that's million, all art. But because millions of people see this. This yeah. is this is for broad audiences. <laughs> Some people, you know, <laughs> like everyone has a differing opinion. I mean, yeah, I, I don't it, know. Who knows what a Okay. okay, so we're anyway, moving on. <laughs> uh, like we mentioned, it's basically these guys take over. The, it's the same story in all of these movies. These guys take over the train, you get an hour, get us the money. If you don't get us the money exactly within this hour, and we're strict about it, um, start picking off hostages. Uh, we get a wonderful band of <laughs> diverse band of New York lunatics oh, on I this train. It. Good bunch. You know? Yep. You got uh, the 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 late the the uh, the sleeping drunk. You've got the uh, 
older uh, man. He's probably 40, <laughs> 45 years old in 1974 that is, years. Uh, that is the great. That is like the best thing is when you look at like a character actor from nineteen seventy five no. and you try to guess their age and you're like, ah, oh, this guy's sixty four, and then you <laughs> look like, and it's like, oh, thirty eight. Oh yeah. no. <laughs> like Peter Fock was how old in nineteen sixty five? We watched. Speaking of ages, we watched really late last night. This is forty, and we are both that age now. And guess uh, what? We guess what? Jen and I completely like related to and understood the movie. This is forty. We were like, whoa, oh. wait. It's now for us. It's now for us. <laughs> when, you, when you saw Paul Rudd just sneak into that uh, trash can to get that. Uh get that cupcake was that yeah, like no like yeah like that's what that's that's what we do now it's like i'm not sneaking around for anything other than like trash food <laughs> that i should <laughs> like, be like, like, you become like a raccoon man i know it's like, <laughs> i did not just i did not stop at mcdonald's i did not no. trust me no yeah <laughs> i totally you've got, did. Like, <laughs> you've got like a slice of bacon on your chin <laughs> mustard like dripping down my cheek <laughs> then what? How do you explain that uh, French fry on the back of your ear like a cigarette? Oh no, just like, just like you got, you kind of got the same haircut as him, and he's like wearing a Ween T-shirt like you would wear. It's like, oh uh, no, oh yeah, I'm like yeah, they got a better house than us. That's the only that's that's the big difference. Like, yeah, I don't know how they afford the house. John Apatow, uh, it's funny because he gets he gets drubbed a lot, and it's a lot it's of it. His, I think it's his last. It's it's his last major movie. Interesting. I like, and it's funny because, like, I like. Uh, I'm a big. Uh, I'm a love head. I really enjoyed love. That's a mm-hmm. good. Uh... I think because I think he felt he had to hire out. Like he became like he got Paul Rust. He got um, Lena Dunham. He got Schumer, Pete Davidson. Like he worked with like these younger people mm-hmm. after this is forty. Uh, and it's like it's not his. his it's not, not him it's anymore. Not his crew. It's, yeah, it's not his million. Yeah. Out. yeah. Wait, it's and it's not basically because like all of his the previous ones like are about like his personal fears. They're like more personal movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. You know, and he's now he's just like works as like comedy kingmaker. Mm-hmm. And weird he... and weird live on t- Twitter. Yeah, he is kind of like a yeah. He's just kind of like a, a a Brooklyn dad or Jeff Tiedrick style uh, live. Well, that was the difference. Like watching this is forty. It's like they go to this school meeting about like their kid misbehaving or something. And they're walking to their separate cars, and I'm like, "There's a Lexus SUV and there's a BMW sedan." And they're walking to them. I'm like, "Which car is theirs?" And they go to separate cars. <laughs> this family's got a Lexus and a BMW. <laughs> Yeah, that's a little. She she owns like a clothing store, and he's a failing record exec. Like that is some. uh, That is some like you know. That's some out of touch rich guy shit, right there. Yeah, that is some. That is some hard. That's some modern family bullshit. That's some like (laughs) real modern family bullshit. Living, yeah, living. Those motherfuckers live in a castle. I know. (laughs) They live in a damn castle. (laughs) <laughs> I saw Brad Pitt's moving into a cliffside castle. He's going to become like the Phantom of the Opera, I think, in his late life or something. That is really funny. Yeah. I love the idea of like Brad Pitt with like a half of a mask on. Most, the most handsome 60 year old man in the entire world just wandering the halls of, with a yeah. candelabra. Like, yeah, like Walter Ma- Ma- Matthau, who's like probably 30 and fucking. Walter Matthau is like, yeah, like 15 years younger than Brad Pitt is now. 
<laughs> into Diego Pelham one two three, and he looks like my grandpa. Yeah, <laughs> it's insane. Like he looks, yeah, he looks like like my dad looks younger than Walter yeah, yeah, Matthau, no. and he's like, <laughs> my dad does too. Seventy <laughs> Cigarettes, man. Cigarettes and yeah. booze, that'll do it. And that's what yeah. all over these movies. And I don't recommend that to young actors, but at the same time, I like all the actors who look like that. Oh, man. Okay, look, just as an experiment, look, just as an experiment, and you don't have to do this, Timothee Chalamet, but it'd be really interesting. It'd be cool just to see what would happen to you if you started drinking and boozing at the same level as Peter Fock. Every... I want to see what, like, a 40-year-old wrinkled timothy would look like i no. was <laughs> although i have to say i was impressed we were watching wrestlemania and john cena has like a massive bald spot oh fuck that, yeah I, and i was like man he's just like owning it good for him like, let's go yeah, let's yes go, dude. <laughs> yes get a pot belly come on I, yeah he's like this like jacked <laughs> like god but he's got a bald spot <laughs> Yeah, I want him to look like Carl from Aqua Teen Hunger Force. <laughs> so, um, one last thing about the passengers, which is really interesting. So, in, in the first two movies, not in the Tony Scott version, there is an, an undercover police officer who is mm-hmm. on board the train. And it's kind of always like a weird third act move in both of the movies to reveal mm-hmm. them. In the book, we meet the undercover cop at the very beginning. He and he's a hippie, and but he's he's like a Serpico kind of guy. So he's got like the look, and he's hanging out in the village, and he's got like a babe hippie girlfriend who hates the pigs. And she finds out he's a cop, and she's like, "Why would you work for them?" And he's got all these conflicts because he's in love with his babe hippie girlfriend, and. He gets on the train and then it gets taken over and it's this entire thought of like, I'm a coward, but I don't want to die. And I love my girl back home and I just want to go back to her. I'm going to be humiliated and thrown off the force because all the other guys would pull their gun like immediately on these guys. It's this entire existential crisis of this cop who's on board, which you can't capture at all in damn movie, but it's great stuff in the book. Oh, man, that is like super. It's so interesting that we get so much like backstory. Um, no, and, it, the and it's power one of those of the things. Book. Yeah, book power. See, that's well, that's the thing about books is like, man, backstory, it works so much better on paper than it often does on screen. Like, as interesting as it would be to have like this big prequel, like, you know, the movie. You have like 20 minutes of like, you know, they're all meeting up beforehand. You get everything organized and then they get to like the train station and then like the taking a Pell 123 credits start to roll. As cool as that would be, I kind of really like the bare bones. There's something really nice about like not even kind of knowing how these guys met, like the mystery of that. Mm-hmm. There's something really um, fun and interesting about just, you know. And just getting straight to the point, like you know, yeah, some, yeah. I mean, that's it, it, it. It's you're you're absolutely right. Uh, the, the streamlined approach is like what makes movies work. It's like it should be this like nonstop kind of yeah, gonna, thrill ride. Yeah, it's a singular question: Are they going to get away with it? Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah, you know. So <clears throat> the entire city gets involved, and this is where we meet. The uh, mayor who has a cold, Mayor Al, played by Lee Wallace in this what are, one. 
It, he okay. I might. This might be controversial. He's my MVP. I I love his <laughs> like. I love his insane. Uh, and it's a bummer. Like he's not like a big. Uh, you know, this is truly like a um one of the you know the one of the uh um one of the charms of this film is that it is truly like an ensemble feature. And uh, he doesn't. He hasn't done a lot. I feel like this is probably his most prominent role, right? This actor. I would say so. Yeah. I mean, he's in um, you know, did TV, did um. Everything from uh, he's in Clute, he's in the Hot Rock, he's in um, he plays the mayor in the Tim Burton Batman. Oh my goodness, I did not know that. That's interesting. Yeah, and he, you know, I mean, he's uh, passed away at the ripe old age of ninety in twenty twenty. Wow! Whoa! And uh, yeah, Broadway. I mean, just you know, New York guy. But the mayor has a cold. He doesn't really want to deal with no. any of this. I love my maybe my favorite uh, moment. There's like one scene in this movie. So the, the mayor is like sick and he's in this like Scrooge bed. He's in this total like just insane opulent Scrooge bed. Uh, and it looks like his like maid slash nurse as a stethoscope and she's putting it like on his ass and looks straight up looks like she's taking she's taking RP trying to see his ass right it's so funny Uh, I'm not a doctor (laughs) your heart's in your ass and, yeah, and it's just like it's it's such a 70s move to like literally have the mayor of New York show his ass yes He's just, he's like on, like, yeah, he's like on the side of the bed with like his pants a little down and the lady with the stethoscope. And, and so, um, his, his assistant is played by the great Tony Roberts, who, oh, great. We saw he was in, um, Serpico. Yep. But, uh, probably best a... known to most of us as Woody Allen's best friend in all the 70s Woody Allen movies. Yeah. Um, it's like buying yeah. for that role with Michael Murphy. Uh, yeah, yeah, Michael Murphy, who plays a different variation of Woody Allen's, like, slightly more waspy best friend, but not really. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, frenemy. <laughs> frenemy. Yeah, like, it's, yeah, like, a, conventionally a little more handsome in a 70s kind of way. <laughs> and yeah. he's like, you gotta pay him off, Mr. Bear. And they do this great scene where they have to vote, and the mayor doesn't want to vote. He looks to his wife, who's played by Doris Roberts. Young Doris Roberts from mm. uh, Everybody Loves Raymond. Oh, yeah. Raymond's mom. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't catch that. That's a good eye. Yeah. No, be, you know, I didn't either. And Jen did. Jen's like, I recognize her. And I was like, yeah. We looked it up. It's like, oh, it's, of course it's Doris Roberts from Raymond. <laughs> Yes, the titular Raymond Raymond and Grandma's boy, of course. Oh, God, yeah. Alan Covert's magnum opus. Yeah. yeah. It, was, it was Alan Covert's time to take over the lead role in a happy <laughs> yeah. Madison production. God, he had a fucking he put in the work. He put in the time. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah, the of the Fredo. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I massacred my production. I was the only one. I was supposed to be me. I was supposed to be Happy Gilmore. <laughs> uh, Peter Dante fishing with <laughs> last Alan Cover in the back of the head. Uh, you thought we couldn't get a Happy Madison reference into this episode. Anyway. You're wrong. 
Doris Roberts. Oh, she was in the freshest sketch of the birthday boys. Too. Oh yeah. One of the best sketches of all time. Yeah. Great um, sketch. Yeah. So she plays the wife and does this great bit where she's like, you're going to gain 16 votes if you save their lives or some shit like that. So funny. <laughs> so funny. And so they, they're going to do the payoff. One of the big things is there's always, except for in the next one, because they don't have the money for it, this great chase through town with the cash mm. and a car crash, and it's all over the place. They're not going to make it in time. And it kind of progresses from there. They they end up killing the motor per, the motorman gets killed mm. every single time in all of mm. them. Very unceremoniously in the Tony Scott. Yeah. Although John Travolta gets a very sick and twisted line. You you know you were always gonna be the first. Like very good line there. <laughs> like It's a good yeah, it's a good uh it's a good uh it's a good John Travolta ham moment for sure. Yeah, in a movie with many of them. Um mm. Mm. regular Boris uh, had the motor motorman Denny Doyle and this one is played by James Broderick, Matthew's dad. Ooh. And um the the FBI guy from yeah. Dog Day Afternoon. Yes. Uh, yeah. Another yeah, just a god, what a great unsung. There were like so many cool fun New York guy actors around at this time. Indeed. Indeed. You, you and just, did you know yeah. did you catch Bill Cobbs is in it too? Yes. He's like a guy. Uh, is he like a police officer or like a guy on the I think he's like he's a, just, just like a, he's, a, a, he's just a, on the platform. Yeah, he's like, like in guy, the trains in the yeah. train, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. he of course um shoots wesley snipes in new jack city that is true that oh, is true yeah. he is like oh man he's the guy who sends wesley to hell yes yeah. indeed <laughs> indeed um and i nino brown of course nino brown wesley snipes should have been you um <laughs> so they they we kind of wind through to the conclusion the guys get off the train the hippie reveals himself and jumps off the train they um one of the key things to note is like um, John Gotti was like a train guy. He's like obsessed with the trains. So the book has got all of these details about how the trains run and all this kind of stuff. Ooh. And the dead man's switch is a key idea in all of these things. So you cannot run the train. The train will not continue to run if you don't have a human hand mm-hmm. on the actual handle. And apparently um, – According to the book, the handle is individualized to each motorman. Hmm. And that's kind of like their signature. They bring it with them. It's to every time it, their shift starts and like install it. Mm-hmm. And that's their special like they all have their special like handle for running the train. Um, um interesting little train fact for you. Um they get make this device though to put a lock on it so the train will continue to run. The bad guys get off and the train becomes an unstoppable train flying down because they've demanded that only green lights, no safety reds. If they see a red, oh, I'm gonna shoot a hostage. Mm. Yeah, but they're already off the damn train. Mm. Hippie jumps off the train, but immediately like takes a bad spill. Yeah, like he's. Immediately kind of hurts himself. It's, yeah, it's, he it's, really dips yeah, it. it. He, he doesn't land it. He but he gets a little bit of guts. I'm going to do this thing. Mm-hmm. He so meanwhile as they go in, 
the bad guys, they have their exit out. And in the book, they do this. And in the movie, they, the first movie, they do this really well. Um, mustaches off, hats off. They've got all these like costume switches, basically, to change their gear. Um, Joey Welcome, Mr. Gray, Hector Elizondo, will not give up his submachine gun. Despite the fact uh, Ryder has specific instructions to do so. He won't do it, he, and he's been mouthing off. He's been threatening to assault women on the train. He's a bad guy. He's a yeah, bad, he, bad guy. He's the baddie of the film. And Ryder in the book justifies it by saying, we do need a guy who will do shit, if need be, but I don't mm -hmm. like you. It's kind of the, you know, like... The necessary he, evil. In a sense, to get the job done, but the job is done, so Ryder blows him away. Through a coat, oh, yeah. he's got a gun in the coat. Meanwhile, Hippie gets up just long enough to fire off a few rounds at them, and Stever, Mr. Brown, Wilson from Home Improvement, mm. mind you, he gets shot and goes down. <laughs> yeah, and I think, uh, and so we're down to two baddies. So here's where things change. In the book, because it is in this point of view kind of thing, we're mm. bouncing between a cop who has gone in the tunnel. Daniels is the guy's name mm -hmm. um, who's in the movie but he's a different character he doesn't get doesn't get the good stuff Garber gets to do the cop who goes in the tunnel mm. um, the hippie and Ryder who goes down to take care he sends Longman out with the cash and he's going to go to the rendezvous point and he's going to take care of whoever was firing at them so in the novel super sudden riders like is about to shoot the hippie on the ground rider gets tagged in the head Ooh. with a gunshot wound and just gets dropped by the other cop in there it's like yeah. sudden it's over and like the line in the book let me um i can track it down here but basically it's something very very like incredibly simple this thought of um um Ryder basically like says like he never oh here it is Ryder had no last thoughts he died instantly with a metallic taste on his tongue from a 38 caliber round that entered just below his chin smashing his teeth and palate and curved upward through the roof of his mouth into his brain and that's the last time we see Ryder man I would love to see a uh a I mean, I wouldn't love to. It's very gross. It's like but... very like um. Yeah. No, but it's like the departed almost in how he's dispatched. Yeah, it's like yeah, it's how. Yeah, it's like how like Matt Damon gets a uh, spoiler yeah. alert. Yeah, boinked. Yeah, it's it, that rules. That that is, that is awesome. So um, and then it's interesting because the hippie goes to the hospital and he gets in this big fight and he gets dumped by mm. the hippie girl anyway, and he's a hero. That's... And the mayor comes to visit him, but he's like, I just want to, I just want to continue having sex with this 23-year-old hippie. Like, no. <laughs> um, but in the movie, um, Garber, Walter Matthau makes figures it out and he gets in the tunnel and he confronts Ryder, and Ryder asks him if there's a death penalty in the state. He goes, No, and then Ryder just immediately puts his foot on the third rail. And gets absolutely blasted and electrocuted and dies. Uh, it does rule. Seeing it's good. Like you, yeah. Seeing it's all good. the smoke come out yeah. of him. Yeah. It's pretty great. It's yeah. really good. So um, 
then they are able to like, hey, there's no, there's no terrorists on the train. Um, <laughs> they fire the lights. The passengers on the train are safe. And it's averted. Now it's time to figure out, though, where did that money go? And who was the final person? Mm. The final person is, of course, Longman, who is the ex-transit authority worker who understood the plan and was able to like give the technical details. Gotcha. Described in the book, the brains, but also a coward. Mm. So keep that in mind. Mm. Um, they figure out, like, look for a disgruntled TA worker who got fired or maybe did some jail time. They narrow it down. They figure it out relatively quick. They go to a guy who's a paraplegic. Uh, not him. Mm-hmm. So the, the next up is this longman. <laughs> Meanwhile, Martin Balsam is, uh, you know, uh, he's got the money on his bed and does the, you know, does a little swim in it. And... Yeah, it's <laughs> very Scrooge McDuckian. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. you got to do it. If you got that yeah. much cash on hand, you got to do it. But I, I I love that he goes full. Oh, for sure. I love that he goes just goes full like cash crazy. That is yeah. like a really. But seeing him like la- laugh the laugh of the insane is like pretty. It's pretty good after seeing this character be so like uh kind of like, low key for the most part yeah. throughout the movie. He's had a cold. He's a little uh, it's a little uh you know stuffy, and so he's just it's it's nice to see him kind of go crazy a bit. <laughs> yeah, indeed. And so, um. They track him down. And what I forgot to mention earlier is that um, Ryder is mostly on the um, the mic to talk with um, Walter Matthau on his side of things to give the demands and so forth. But at one point, or two points, mm-hmm. Martin Balsam, who we mentioned, has a cold, sneezes. And mm-hmm. Walter Matthau goes, go so tight. So they go in, they have this interrogation scene, Jerry Stiller and Walter Matthau with Martin Balsam. He's like, get out of here. You don't have a warrant. <laughs> they turn around like, fine, fine, fine. Whatever. We'll look into your alibi. They turn around and they're about to shut the door and Martin Balsam sneezes. And we get one of the greatest moments in the history of movies. <laughs> Walter Matthau with his hangdog face turns in and just goes, mm-hmm. <laughs> and nods his head. It's like, gotcha. <laughs> and that's it's, the end of the movie. It's so perfect. It's so satisfying good. beyond belief. It makes you so happy. It's just, um, it's so funny and like, like perfect. <laughs> very weird. It's like simultaneously like, like very sitcommy, and yeah. then also just like, just a perfect back. Uh, you know, just a perfect period to this. Uh, like a perfect yeah. end piece to it, this film. It, yeah, and the lack of pretentiousness of the movie. It's just like, yeah, we're going to end it with this sitcom-y, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I think you just stole that dang money. Mm, did I do that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to eat some cheese. Yeah. So, <laughs> the movie... <laughs> Sorry, oh my god. Oh no. You're like I'm a regular so... Martin Balsam. I know, I know. You're gonna you're gonna poke your head in through the door in just a moment. Oh wait, up here. wait. Hmm, wait, Don, really quickly, uh, why don't you um, bake me a turkey in your oven? Ugh. Kicking money underneath my bed. <laughs> so um the uh the novel I forgot to mention 
some of the interesting things we talked about how the New York was edging toward financial crisis, crime had risen. Um, one thing that's interesting, one movie and story we forgot, novel we forgot to note that is contemporaneous with this is Death Wish, mm. which is another key New York is falling to pieces story mm. and movie. And the subway was perceived at this time as near, neither safe nor reliable. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> um, but this also came out at uh, the golden age of skyjacking in which planes were getting taken over all the time by terrorists. Oh, yeah. And um, taken to Cuba or wherever. But Yeah, like, uh, yeah, Carlos and all Carlos that Carlos the Jackal, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and so this is all, like, it's really a fascinating, like, it, like this is the best way, a movie that plays really well mm-hmm. today, but it's also, like, such a timepiece. Yeah, well, that's why this, like, what's great about this story is it's so, it's like the perfect, um, it's so malleable. You can, like, really plant this. It's it's so fun to take this idea and plant it in, like, any time and see how it, like, you know, how things have changed and how things, like, you know, seeing, like, the, the minutia of 70s New York and then comparing it and contrasting it to the minutia of 2000, 2000s New York is like a lot. Of, it's just a lot of fun. It's like a really yeah. cool. It's always going to be it's like a, it gives you it's always cool to get an idea of like how uh, this era of New York functioned at this time. Indeed, indeed. And I think um, one piece that is really interesting that is of its time, too. Is it is is even more in the book is the idea that perhaps the city of New York did not have a million dollars on hand, just in general. Oh man, yeah, it was that. <laughs> it was broke. that. It was that broke. <laughs> oh my god, that is like truly. Yeah, it was dire. It was not. Yeah. <laughs> that was not a good. That was not a good. Uh, yeah, like uh, manufacturing was leaving in droves. There was a lot of <laughs> a lot of stuff happening. <laughs> um. So uh, the MTA did not want to cooperate with this movie at all. Mm. Um, They felt that the book was too detailed into how one could actually do this. Ha 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 ha. They were a little concerned about that. (laughs) This might actually cause like a crime wave, like another crime wave. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And they had to, um, eight weeks of negotiations, they had to bring in Mayor John Lindsay to actually get them they relented um but required um the producers take out a huge insurance policy um including a special kook coverage in case the movie inspired a real life hijacking that is such a like 70s new york like terminology like ah, you, we're gonna have to like get the special insurance in case kooks come and i guess um the the transit authority also insisted no graffiti appear on any of the trains, despite the fact that like they were jammed to the kills with graffiti, <laughs> and they were like adamant about it. And uh, and Joseph Sargent was like, New Yorkers gonna hoot when they see our spotless subway cars, but TA was adamant about that. <laughs> <laughs> and um, you know, and they said um. Mary Lindsay announced his intention to remove graffiti from subway trains in 72, but the last graffiti-covered car was not removed from service until 1989. Wow. The uh, filming began in November of 1973 and completed in April of 74. And Mm -hmm. um, the film 
was released on October 2nd of 1974. Uh, Well-received by critics. Good action, described as a good action caper. It currently has a 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Breezy, thrilling, and quite funny. The Taking Pelham 123 sees Walter Matthau and Robert Shaw pitted against each other in an effortlessly high form. The film does feel effortless. It's unforced, and like we said, unpretentious, and a really good time. It's just like it's breezy. It it is. Uh, you were. It's a hundred percent unpretentious, like you said. It's just yeah. It's just really, and it's just such a cool like. You really get the sense. Uh, it's like a, I feel like it's a great like. If you want to um, get a sense of how the wild nature of New York City in this uh, this uh, hot button time, this is a great movie to start. Indeed, indeed, and yeah. great, and a great story, and a simple story. So, as we all know, in the world of movies, in the world of television, if you have a good story, it's at some point we're gonna have to redo this story. Yeah, you, bring, you, you gotta, bring, you gotta give me, bring you gotta some more cash. Out of, yeah, like, <laughs> you gotta, you gotta get all the, you gotta get all the, gotta get all the milk out of that teat, brother. Like, yeah. indeed, indeed, <laughs> indeed. So, uh, by the year. Of our Lord, 1998. It was time to do it again, and but this time, if you thought it was going to be like one of these like grand scale Spielbergian big budget remakes, uh uh uh, folks, no no no, no. Instead, if you were watching television on the ABC network on February 1st of 1998, you may have bumped into the taking of Pelham One Two Three for the Senior Dandies. <laughs> Taking a Pelham. <laughs> if you ever watched uh, the Taking of Pelham One Two Three, and then thought to yourself, "Gee, I wish this had the um, vibe and aesthetic of an episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark?" Then <laughs> this, this might be the movie for you, sir. <laughs> if you said to yourself, "Like, man, I think a Sony Handycam is really high-end technology right now, and I'd like to see what could be done," you know, in a ninety-minute um, television movie. <laughs> yeah. If you thought like the city of New York was a character in the original book and movie, but you were like, I don't think that it's a necessarily the best and most worthwhile character. Um, and let's make the entire thing in Toronto and sub in sub in sub in Toronto as New York. Then this is the movie for you. If you if you uh, saw these like bandits, these you know these villains come and take the subway, and you know you were enamored by them, but you're like, hmm. What if one of these guys was uh, a certain rapper with blonde hair? <laughs> what if uh, instead of, uh, you know, What's uh, hot right now, let's yeah. put it in. Put it in. <laughs> what if one of these people had a, uh, had a necklace of an M15? Because, yeah. <laughs> Question okay. mark. So it's the same story overall, but now we are in television mode and, Two director Felix Enriquez Alcala's credit. Mm -hmm. They are working in a a television market. They do not have the dough that Joseph Sargent had. They certainly don't have the dough that Tony Scott had. (laughs) No, this is like, yeah, there is bare bones. This is, uh, this is workable. We got to get it on TV, you know, for this, for, for February, you know, it, for this February screening Look, of yeah, the movie. 
like we have this like the mad about you finale is gonna play before it we should get some like good uh yeah some I mean, good some good viewage it's a it, it is a movie of the week you could see the commercial breaks even oh oh jesus we forgot uh the original take you film 123 is on hbo max <laughs> this one I watched on Screen Picks, which is one of my favorite streaming services. It's part of the Roku network, and it has got weird stuff, and I love Ooh. it. It like, is, yeah. I've, TV I've, it's... movies, seventies trash, you name it. It's on weird eighties horror movies. It's fun. It's only a dollar ninety nine a month. It's worth it. It's like yeah. It's like the it's like the uh, the Pepsi to Tubi's Coke. Yeah, it is, but no commercials. Ooh, that is nice. That is nice. Come on, okay, Tubi, hear us out. Give us a version of your service where, like, we pay like five bucks a month and we don't we have are, to pay commercials. Watch. We commercials. are not alone. We are not alone in telling you this, Tubi. There is there is an army of Tubi heads out there who would be willing to pay five dollars a month as much to get, as a, like, get away from those commercials. As much as I like to see like my friends David Tooney yeah, yeah. and uh, Drew Horton and like yeah. in like in Burger lottery, King commercials, lottery, lottery commercials, lottery yeah. commercials, Burger King commercials, whatever. As cool as it is to see my my buddies getting some paper, yeah. Uh, I'd also like to just I'd I just want to watch Death Wish for and uh, in peace. That's all. I know. I know. This <laughs> is the crackdown. I mean, I'm on the edge of my seat. Yes. Um, so. The cast in this one, Victor, uh, Zachary Garber is now been, if you can believe it, split into two in this picture. Mm-hmm. Edward James almost plays the old part, um, the old grump version. And he is Detective Anthony Piscotti, who's not in the book, as far as I remember. <laughs> I read the book last week. I'm trying to remember. An original character. An original character, and he's met by the equally original Detective Ray, played by Lorraine Bracco, who we love on the show, we're huge oh, yeah. fans of, um, and kind of setting the tone, like I'm trying to mention about this like movie-to-movie-to-movie version, of the Negotiator character, mm. because the Negotiator character emerges greatly in the Tony Scott movie with... Mm-hmm. Another Academy Academy favorite, John Turturro, mm. to, to come in just a moment here. Um, so they are both the they are both at the Trans Authority, and they are both negotiating with our bad guys, who retain, who are never taught discussed by in their character names from the book. So we never hear the words Ryder or Longman, or I think we do hear Longman briefly, um, but we don't know their real names testament to perhaps the movie not really caring yeah these elements at all uh <laughs> we, we have we're they're in their color schemes of mr blue mr green mr gray and mr brown robert shaw mr blue rider is played by vincent d'onofrio mm-hmm. looking looking trim i was gonna say that too he's like spelt, alive spelt you this know this is like yeah. this is like hunky d'onofrio this is yeah, like full before... head of hair and yeah, he's looking good. He's done. He's not private. Uh, private pile in this one. No, not a. Yeah, he's not. He's not a. He's not Wilson Fisk, aka the Kingpin. No. <laughs> ooh, watch out for that guy. Mm-hmm. Um, bit of, Mr. A, of a loose cannon. Ooh, scary. Ooh, <laughs> oh, chills. No. I don't know. I mean, it's very scary because it, it's real. That happened. Daredevil's a real guy. He's a real guy. He's the, he's the one Marvel character that's real. 
He's good. He's the guy who made us all believe that your senses, when you don't have one sense, your other senses are like totally raised. I believe it. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, no, I uh, all the time. I always, uh, I always try whenever I see someone who uh, has a cane and is clearly. I always try to fight them. Well, no, I mean, I just really try. I speak in the lowest of whispers because I assume uh... their hearing is like super strong. <laughs> Yeah, see, I I try to fight. That's why I'm. Doing I also this wear jail. like real, really good deodorant because I don't want to be stinky. Mm, that's true. <laughs> yeah, you wear good deodorant. I like that reasoning. I mean, hey, you yeah. smell nice. You always smell great, so I can't complain. No, even people with normal smells, like they 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 say here people people are talking about. It. He smells great. <laughs> Hanging out with Trump? What was that? Oh, this episode comes out the day he's going to jail. Oh yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. Cool. <laughs> we're gonna really care about the taking of Pelham one, two, three that day. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, dude, Pelham. America's gonna have Pelham fever. Pelham well, you fever. Know what? <laughs> oh yeah, everyone's gonna really care. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Mr. Green Longman, the man with the sniffles, which which continues into this movie. I should be noted in the book he does not have a cold. Interesting. Oh, um, in the book, they catch him by um, he jumps off of a fire escape, trying to, and he lands at a cop's arms. The cop goes, "Surprise!" <laughs> I would love a freeze frame of that. That is so <laughs> funny. That is like, it's like, ah, they got me. <laughs> oh shoot! <laughs> oh darn! But he's yeah. played by uh, Richard Schiff, who we last saw in Seven. Yeah, he's having fun. He's like yeah, a, yeah. an odd case. He's kind of like a sleepier. Uh, everyone, recurring <laughs> train. Everyone's a little sleepy in the movie. <laughs> a little sleepy. Oh, the, pe- the people on the train are vocal in this version, too. They're That's all, true. They're, they're a bunch of whiners. The old, the old, <laughs> the old man in this is also just insane looking. They have an old, the old guy character is just a total. They also have two kids on the train without their mother. Key point, key plot point to this one. That is uh, true. Because uh, Mr. Brown, Wilson from Home Improvement, <laughs> otherwise known as Stever, though, uh, is in the movie's touch that I thought had amazing potential, but winded up being perhaps the great disappointment of mm-hmm. the entire movie. Played by Tara Rosling, female member of the team. Which I yes. loved the concept of, and I liked, and I wanted to see more of, but the writers of the show go, uh, who wrote, April Smith wrote it, uh, female writer, yep. uh, which I think adds to this being the most feminine mm, version true. of this, of this, of this um, story. Uh, mostly, dude. This is this is these are dudes movies. <laughs> yeah, these are movies with a bunch of guys duding around for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, but unfortunately, um, instead of playing Stever as kind of like the muscle, which would have been quite interesting, she immediately shows like caves to the pressure of the entire robbery and just. Wants to mother the children on board, and it, it, it thumbs is down, I, thumbs down. Yeah, it is very weird. I mean, and well, what's interesting is they do give like the um, like there's like uh, she gets these moments with like Lisa Vidal's character or whatever, where it's like 
It's like you're you think you're bad. I used to be bad too, but now I'm like a working mom or like it's very I know, like like this stupid backstory and yeah. Lame, and, lame. And and what sucks is that her character is like it's so crazy cuz you see this lady and she just looks like, you know, just like a run-of-the-mill lady, kind of. Maybe, like, a little rough on around the edges, but not super rough around but the like, edges. But, like, kind of like a 90s lady. Yeah, she's 100% just a 90s lady. But then she has, like, a golden machine gun necklace. That's crazy. And so I want I want to know more about this. Like, there's so much going on with this woman. Like, I know. <laughs> and it's like there's so I think I'm pissed because they like left stuff on the table. And, uh, and I think I think it would have been so much easier. It's a TV movie. Just make her like Elizabeth Hurley in Passenger 57. That's what I was thinking. Exactly. Just like they. She's like, yeah, she, it's 100 percent like it's like she stole or, that um, necklace from was, uh, um, our, in... our gal from King of New York. Um, Teresa oh, Randall. Yeah, it's like she stole that necklace from Teresa Randall, and it's like I want to see the movie of yeah. how Tara Gosling won this necklace and just fight. make her, just make her mean, make her, make her the crazy one. Oh man! Oh, by the way, uh, when we brought up King of the New York, just thought about this, uh, and I didn't do this for my. We're gonna, we might do something fun later, but uh, imagine a taking a poem directed by Abel Ferreira. Ferreira, yeah. man. Yeah, the terrorists would win. Yeah, that exactly. <laughs> That's the thing. It would just be like Christopher walking, just like eating everybody's lunch. <laughs> yeah, I want money, and if I don't get it in an hour, I'll start shooting people. <laughs> Y'all gonna die. You're gonna die. <laughs> Chris, his art, his murder, his masterpiece. His masterpiece. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's like four different walking characters. Four walking characters <laughs> in one. Yes, it's like you got you got King oh, and ha- Eric walking. Happy B Day, related B Day to Christopher Walken turned eighty this past week. Hell yeah, keep on, I, he, keep on, uh, keep on rocking, man. You're one of our yep. favorites. Yeah, one uh, of everybody's, everybody's everybody's favorite. Everybody loves that guy. Um, yep. Your favorite performance in the movie, though, it has to go to Mr. Gray, I think, because <gasps> Jen was having like a serious conversation with her father yesterday. When you texted me, Donnie Wahlberg fucking sucks in this movie. <laughs> like, I like burst out laughing. Jay goes, "Were you laughing at something we were saying?" I'm like, no, no, it was it was laughing at something Patrick said. <laughs> so stupid. He's so bad. It is like one of those play, things. He's the psycho guy, and he's playing him like basically. He's got like bleach blonde hair, and he's doing like this. The the fruit. Like stars, right? When your brother has, like, I don't know, Mark Wahlberg is not like, he's not like Marlon Brando or anything, but like, he's got it. Yeah. And like, you get this like low budge facsimile version of it. Oh, man. Yeah. Like, it's like, it doesn't have it as much. <laughs> like, he, not yeah it is very much like there are these moments in this movie where like Donnie Wahlberg will smirk like Paul Rudd in Wet Hot American Summer and it is just truly like he'll do something vile and then he'll kind of like look at the camera and be like aren't I a stinker and I just yeah, want yeah. I, I want to wedgie this nerd I want to slurpy him he sucks so hard he's like he's a nerd he sucks he's so lame and so um yeah it's it's just it's very like 
Weasley, you know, just Ugh, there's, yeah. there's not much below the surface going on there. It's not scary. It's just kind of like lame, especially the way it's shot and with the, the handy cams and the bleached out color scheme and the fact they are trying desperately to conceal that they're in Toronto. Oh my god, yes. Totally, to the point yeah. though where you said the guy running the um the the station, the T the the transit authority, the the oh my gosh, they killed Cal. Yeah. Yes, they killed Cass Hollowitz. Yeah, oh god, yeah, the guy constantly... is the guy who from scanners who gets his head blown up by Michael Ironside at the beginning of scanners. It does rule. It does rule. So I was like this guy's mustache is familiar. Something's up with this guy. And it's like, yeah. oh, wow, that's the guy who gets his head blown up in scanners. Yeah. That's great. Classic uh, candidate, candidate character. Actor. Yeah, classic candidate guy. Yeah. And yeah, uh, Louis Del Grande. That's his name. Oh, great name. And he plays oh, yeah. Frank Stonehouse. <laughs> Another Louis great Del- name. Classic uh, Mark Sinclair Vin Diesel situation. Indeed, indeed. What's what's a better name? I don't know. Devil's, don't know. Uh, devil's deal there. I don't know. Um, <laughs> So there, they go. You know, it they plays through the same beats, for the most part, like almost to a T. Like some of the lines are the same lines mm-hmm. from the original. Oh uh, yeah, almost verbatim. Yeah. One thing to note that Patrick did bring up is Lisa Vidal plays Barbara Babs Cardoza, the motor man, who connects is with the chil- surrogate mother to the children, mouths off to the terrorists, and then is. <laughs> unceremoniously gunned down off screen <laughs> in the most chilling moment of the entire movie which could have been so much more earned mm-hmm. they could have done more with it oh for sure like and it's like yeah because that's like also a really that's like one thing i really liked about the 1974 version was when the the guy who like they established that the guy who's on the train that day the subway that day it's his first day yeah, and he ends up being the guy who gets uh, iced. Uh, yeah, for, and it's just such a good like you know nobody's safe. Uh, kind of like a nice bit of like you know this movie that can be very lighthearted at times, inserting some grim reality and actual stakes into the scenario. Yeah, yeah. And so the one and another fun thing to note is that the um, the undercover hippie cop in this movie is actually just a lady on the train. Yeah. Just like a random lady. And she, in the same beats, she jumps yeah. off the train. She gets hurt. Yeah, she, she screams my leg. <laughs> Donnie Wahlberg is shot by Vincent D'Onofrio. And then she, then the lady who jumps off the train shoots Mrs. Brown. Unceremoniously, too. <laughs> established the entire, like, I wish she had had a thing with Vincent D'Onofrio, too. Yeah. I think that would have been interesting. But no. She just gets iced off screen and that's that. Yep, yep. She gets, she's gone. And then uh, Vincent D'Onofrio goes to, um, you know, shoot her. Mm -hmm. Then Edward James almost. (laughs) (laughs) Edward James almost. (laughs) (laughs) Almost, almost Walter Matthau. (laughs) Almost. uh, uh, Got him. Folks, we got him. He's a good actor, but it's like, He's a we great, yeah. Coming off of our boy Walter Matthau, it's hard. You you really get the sense that this guy just needed a paycheck, and not not, not we. Hey, sometimes we just need it. Maybe this was like a favor. It's like, act, hey man, act, actors gotta work. 
Yeah. Like I, I, I saw Brendan Fraser got asked if he would ever join the DC universe the other day. Yeah. And he goes, "Yeah, I gotta work, man. Like it's, it's I, I got, I'm an actor. I work. Like that's honestly, yeah, fuck, that's like the right attitude. Like, well, 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 reminds me. I hit the role. I don't give a shit. Well, that reminds me of like, was it Rachel Ziegler or whatever, the female lead of uh, of West Side Story, the new one, where like they interviewed her. She's like apparently in like Shazam two, which is like, by the way, total like Zachary Levi, all his, <laughs> his it's he's. It's, I feel kind of bad for the guy. Poor Chuck. Chuck is not having. <laughs> Chuck's Chuck. having a hard go of it right now. Part of it is like Chuck. I feel like you've been here before. Like, a <laughs> yeah. Bit. I remember my first beer. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, oh, Chuck. But, uh, uh, like, uh, Rachel Ziegler was getting interviewed about, like, uh, Shazam 2, and she was like, yeah, I just really needed the work. It was, she was, she was just 100%, like, I'm not, like, a big fan of what I, I just, I just, I didn't have that many options when COVID hit, and, like, uh, this came up, and I needed to pay rent. (laughs) Like, Leonardo DiCaprio is a unicorn in that he gets to just like dabble and pick and choose most other people just have to kind of like pay the bills yeah exactly like it's like yeah it's like you know as much as um you know it's our it's, like yeah 90 percent of people are just happy they're getting that burger commercial i know like, i know yeah. i mean most people we know it's like if if a friend of ours like scores a like fidelity mortgage yeah oh, yeah we're like high fives like let's take you out to dinner congratulations oh dude yeah it's like i've become like the assistant of the gecko in a series of geico yeah. commercial like yeah yeah you're set it's like oh somebody's getting that house good soon. for you yeah yeah, yeah. man yeah, and that my... mortgage brother <laughs> i mean it's you know it's not in los feliz yet but maybe sell a show yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly hey yeah okay echo park at least yeah oh man <laughs> we found a perfect one in los feliz it was 1.4 million I remember little, little out of the price range. God, I remember like one time uh, driving Lyft uh, to give an idea of like yeah expensive properties and stuff. Here, I was uh, driving a guy who was going to look at a house, and um, I think this was like in North Hollywood, and uh, he was like, "Yeah, it's like eight hundred k. It's a steal." And I was like, "Oh, cool! Like that's crazy, you know, because that is low for like you know even like North Hollywood or whatever for North Hollywood, yeah, yeah." And, he, and then I was like, "Yeah, like are there any like hitches or anything?" He's like, "Yeah, uh, a guy was murdered there. We have to clean it. Like I'm not even joking. <laughs> the blood was still so that was like." In the- so that's kind of an idea of what it's like. Oh, and that no. was back in like 2018. Oh, and it was even more affordable. Oh, yes. No. So like, it's like just to give everyone outside oh. of an LA of LA an idea of what it's like trying to find property here. Like this poor guy, guy who like looked very successful. Like he he was like I think he was like a guy who had uh, he owned a bounce castle company like he was, was he, the guy was he, was he played by rob hubel <laughs> yeah yeah dude it's great great property 100k just have to clean the blood yeah, like... Sounds like, yeah this sounds like a, like a character from like a michael Schur show <laughs> like... yeah, it is very much yeah like i'm surprised like uh i'm surprised paul eberstein isn't portraying him yeah uh it's yeah it is oh, uh it was just yeah it's just yeah it's just it's it's hard but it, it is just it's, one of those this, things that... this, the zoomers man i feel so bad oh like, yeah like i thought millennials like, had it tough like oh god i know just... like there's just it's just no wonder everyone just has shows man there's only that's all we have left yeah that is truly 
It's truly all fucking shows. God, just yeah, art. Yeah. Not even art. And, just content. You know, we just have content. <laughs> well, speaking of art and content, let's get back oh. to the taking a Pelham one, two, three television. Yes. Out of that grim, uh, had to clean the blood off that. This haunted house. <laughs> so, our, so Vincent and uh, Edward James almost tracks him down at the subway. Oh, they're going to mm. escape. They're not on the train. What a realization. They have it in all three of these movies. <laughs> they're not on the train. Um, uh, Vincent D'Onofrio and this one goes out in the same way as Robert Shaw puts his foot on the train. He gets smoked. It's great. Yeah. Also, also great. He's like, you know what? Uh, it's a bummer. Like D'Onofrio, he's I, really good in it. He's just very. My, just... I think he puts in my favorite performance in, in this movie. Yeah, I think he's like well, and I think like there's like a quality to this where it does feel like there's like a dinner theater element. Like I don't know, there's like something like we don't have a lot, but we're making it work somehow. Like people yeah. are some people, not all the people, but some are trying. I feel like D'Onofrio tries. I feel like Richard Schiff is trying. He does some like crazy choices. Yeah, and so. uh Lorraine Bracco and uh, Edward James almost now have to track down Richard Schiff, as is the tradition set forth in the yes. book and the original movie. And it goes down similar routes. Richard Schiff, I sent Patrick a screenshot, you know, <laughs> in a white tank top. Uh, uh, does his does his swan dive into a bed of money? It's just like the greasiest and weirdest Richard Schiff <laughs> has ever looked, which I kind of love a little bit. Like know, it's, it's like, like don't don't you a... work at don't you work at the White House? <laughs> yeah, aren't you like a, a, a like a famous billionaire or something on the yeah. Good Doctor? What's happening here? <laughs> Good Doctor. Yeah, yeah. Mm. <laughs> mm. Uh, that, but that Doctor's great. He has the sniffles. He does the they do the gazoon tight bit. All that in this one. Mm-hmm. And then um, he sneezes. But this time around, guess what we get? We get two heads leading in. Truly, it is so 90s. It feels like the end of an episode of Full House. I'm surprised it's not Bob Saget and Dave Coulier. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, cut to the credits. Uh, and what do we... Oh, I just noticed the director was also the cinematographer on this movie as well. Oh, that's I mean, like, there's like one or two moments where the cinematography is in. Like, I like there's like these shots in the beginning where it's like from the POV of Richard Schiff, and it's like really weird. Like, it's kind of fun. They're trying. They're yeah. trying. It just due to Ooh. budget constraints, due to you know, not superstar people. Involved. Yeah, yeah. They do their it, best. I saw Stuart Copeland from the Police did the score. I saw that too. It was so. I was like, "Huh." Like, and there's some cool score moment. Like, I will say that the music in the beginning is like terrible. Yeah. It's, uh, it sucks. But then yeah. there are like one or two moments that are that it's okay. Um, Beats you a they, little nervous. Yeah, you're. I'm a little like, oh, but I really hope I'm in good hands. I'm a little. It's like it's like I'm being held hostage by this movie. Yeah, <laughs> it's like Helen yeah. Alexander is pointing the the, the 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 muzzle at me. Yeah. But, uh, uh, and then uh, it does also feel like like the way that they've like there's like all these weird built. It's a combination of like probably like a poor um, rip of the film or whatever, and then yeah. on top of that like weird like uh, weird like uh, digital like the way that they choose to shoot the film like the, like it looks like they're putting in some weird After Effects things. It looks to me it looks like they 
if you ever had a game the game boy camera there's like a camera thing you can put on a game boy and you can take pictures like really weird pictures uh. with the game boy and it looks like a the game boy camera it looks like game boy camera photos colorized it's very it's very like pixely and bizarre and grainy but not grainy in like a fun way grainy in like a very like uh forced and weird way i don't know yeah i th- they were they were trying to stick out from the crowd but mm-hmm. <laughs> That's Ron Howard. <laughs> they didn't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they did not. Yeah, <laughs> they didn't. And uh, you know, this movie has been like utterly forgotten. I noticed on Letterboxd, it is my um, in my Letterbox stats, it's my like, it's the least reviewed movie. Really? That I have reviewed. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is uh, you know, quite interesting. How many, uh, can I ask how many reviews? I'm going to check it out for us right now. But, Mm. um, you know, as I scroll through my letterbox tab. But, yeah, it's listed as most obscure. And it has, um. Oh, I can see, uh, it's 232. Yeah, I see 51 reviews. Oh, my God. (laughs) That is not a lot. And 367 letterbox members have watched it. So it's very, um. Yeah, and it is something too. Like you bring it up to like, whoa, there's another one. That's what everyone says. They're like, I knew the '74, I knew the Tony, mm-hmm. but I had no idea this one existed. Well, we've let you know, and it's out there. If you, we probably have not compelled you whatsoever to watch this movie, but um, if you feel like it, it's out there to check it out. You know, and it'll kind of it's a strange anomaly in this yeah. in this cycle. For for the completists, you know, like, and there's something like, um, I'm glad yeah. that like, uh, I feel like these type of films like uh, tend to get a, uh, these are like the films that are most endangered of disappearing, like your Thursday's games. Your we uh, we love TV movies on the show. We're big yeah. TV movie heads, and yeah, so I was happy to watch it regardless of its, you know, quality quality. <laughs> 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 I still, I still was happy, and I was like not upset or anything when it was over. Yeah, um, you know, they're it's they're all trying. It's tough. Movies yeah. are hard, folks. Movies are hard. movies are hard. Okay, getting to it. Mm-hmm. We cut to give or take about a decade later. Tony mm-hmm. Scott is presented with we. It, uh, for those of you who were around and cognizant, going to the movies in the early two thousands. It was remake city, baby. Every Ooh. single horror movie from the sixth, from the seventies and eighties, got, got themselves a remake in this time period. Mostly perpetrated by Michael Bay and his company Platinum Dunes. Uh, Friday Thirteenth, mm-hmm. The Hills Have Eyes, Nightmare on Texas. Elm Street, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, a couple of times. Um, it's some like when a stranger calls, just weird stuff and there was like talk all the time about like oh we're gonna do the wild bunch all this kind of stuff mm-hmm. and i mean this is still infiltrated we saw the news about this vertigo remake the other day that nobody wants nobody wants it no we don't need nobody like, wants you, it. i don't want uh i don't want uh freaking t- uh tom hooper directing a remake of the birds i don't need the daniels directing uh you know an updated version of uh i don't know the fog we're good get new ideas i mean but by the way that they've been praised the only movie that they could remake is citizen kane 
it's true. It's actually, <laughs> you think about it. What if, uh, what if, uh, instead of like you know being a newspaper baron, uh, he was uh, he had anxiety. What if that was just all? So game, game, video game designer with anxiety. <laughs> He's a video game designer with anxiety. <laughs> Titan of industry. <laughs> God, fuck anxiety. I hate it. If you guess what? If you have anxiety. You're damn. Ner- I'm just kidding. We I'm just kidding. Hey, we all never, get it. We all, we all, we all get, get it. it. We, all we all get, get it. it. We just don't need every movie to be about it. God, um, yeah, we're we're fine. We're good. We can. So, but speaking of actually, with our next movie, you man who's never displayed anxiety once in a movie, Denzel Washington. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, uh, you know this movie's cooking when they try to like humanize Denzel Washington by making him stuff a little napkin like a bib. <laughs> I know he's like doing like dad stuff, but you're like you're still you're still Denzel. <laughs> yeah, like we see that like earring. The you're greatest, cool man. You're the greatest guy. Like yeah. ever, <laughs> you know, it's like yeah, you know who else likes to you know put a little uh, napkin in his uh, in his pant shirt before he eats Goku? Like yeah, come <laughs> on, like it's just like yeah, you're you're superhuman. Get out of here. So these were like running rampant, and Tony Scott was interestingly enough like basically it kind of was beginning to see the writing on the wall as the superhero movies were starting to emerge that. To stay in the game, but not just do these faceless superhero pictures. He was going to have to like find a niche or mm. make a move, and so a remake. So he got invested actually in this before he did Deja Vu, but it took a while to get this script off the ground. The original screenwriter for the this remake was going to be David Kep, who we've met before. Mm-hmm. Great screenwriter, you know. One of the one of the five Jurassic dudes. Park. Jurassic Park, but also yeah. Carlito's Way. Oh, uh, oh Death I'm Becomes a Diaper. Oh, good. One of the great. Go characters. back and let somebody. Recently, some people have been downloading that one, so you know we were. You know about that. <laughs> yeah, Cla- one of the classic characters. One of the classic Academy Academy characters. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but in the meantime, he diversified. He started doing TV shows. He did commercials. He did like mini series, like producing them. He produced everything from, you know, um, numbers, the David Crumholtz joint on CBS. Ooh. Yeah. Directed and episode, Rob, Rob Morrow, too. Rob Morrow. Don't forget. Well, directed an episode mm. that a Val Kilmer guest starred on, brought in his mm. old friend Val. <laughs> That uh, to, rules. He was one of the many executive producers on the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. I mean, like he's working. He's working. Tony. Tony got to work. He gets through deja vu, and they decide that um, they are not feeling the David Kep script. It's not getting to the places Tony wants. Hmm. So they bring in Brian Hegelin, who wrote Man on Fire, hmm. um, and he. Narrow, he's the one who kind of narrows it down to this one-on-one dude versus dude contest mm-hmm. that isn't so much in the other movies. Mm. And he is the one to decide to make Ryder a bit more colorful than in previous versions and a bit yeah. more vicious, which Tony loved. Like, oh man, yeah, he's like a little, he's a little freak in this, and it's a lot of fun. 
It is a lot of yes. He is a goon. He is a he is like, <laughs> yeah, does this character make a lot uh, sense? Not really. Is it really fun to watch? Hell yeah. Hell yeah, it is. Hell yeah, dude. Hell yeah, brother. And he is a modern villain in that he is a former Wall Street asshole. That, that yeah, tracks, which I yeah. do like. I, I do. It does track. That is that is kind of like God. It shows how like lame villains have become. Like yeah, like in the seventies, it's like dude who fought you know in like bush wars in Africa or whatever. In the two thousands, it's like annoying guy who went to rightfully went to jail for dumb stock shit. Like yeah, I know. It's like they're all the Wolf of Wall Street. Like ugh, yeah, that's like that's what they aspire to be. That's yeah, I like know. The, ugh. Ugh. Yeah, like at least yeah, a mer- at least a mercenary is interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly at least like at least there's like some skin in the game with that. Yeah, you're not like <laughs> no. sitting on none of this keyboard warrior shit. <laughs> I know. Well, no, and also like this adding the surveillance aspect to this movie. They're like, we knew Tony would like that because there's nothing Tony likes more than people looking at computer screens. <laughs> So for a guy who like like I read the the chapter the the chapter two and yeah. uh, and they talk about like you know how Tony like climbed like the Italian Alps or something like he did like yeah. the plot of the mountain or something and and uh, and you know for a guy who like loved to do these like death defying things he sure loves just guys sitting around Scream, <laughs> screaming at computer screens yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm surprised he never got like a vertical limit from mr scott that is like a yeah i think um on the pure cinema podcast a few weeks ago they had the screenwriter daniel waters who wrote demolition man on to talk about the upcoming new beverly calendar and they're playing man on fire and he called himself a tony scott agnostic and he's like I can't deal with how much they're yelling at these screens. It's like, that's not a movie to me. <laughs> like, that's so funny. I mean, I get, I get Mr. Waters point. And Hey, yeah. he wrote, he wrote Batman returns. He can't, you know, I can't throw shade at this man. He's a no. hero. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, <laughs> but he did say man on fire was the best Tony Scott movie. Yeah. Well, that's because, uh, you know, because someone gets in, a... it might be <laughs> Yeah. also less screens and uh, someone gets a C4 stuck up their butt. So, Funny movie. Yeah, goals. there's yeah, there's butt bombs and Man on Fire. Talk <laughs> yeah. about a vicious movie. Oh my god. Oh man, just a total. Ah, yeah, that is like a. There's a level of. Do you ever wonder if like, like um, although you know what, for as vicious as that movie is, it does have a bit of a heart. What well, does? This, I mean, as, as this, as this movie does. A little bit. I feel like it kind of has a little bit of a heart. I, like dad said, gave bring home milk, which actually does get me a little bit. Yeah, I feel well. That's the thing is, I feel like this movie, like there's more. Uh, uh, it's weird. Like it's like they're trying to try, like they try to make Denzel's character like. Uh, they give him like so much more backstory than all the previous movies combined. I know, and I think it loses. Um, it loses it like it neatly ties the thread of his like foibles mm-hmm. a little too much. Cause I think what's yeah. really interesting about him is that he did, he may have done something. And I think yeah. that that's really interesting. That's fascinating that he's under that investigation is- during all of this. That is like th- a cool element that is like under, um, underutilized. I know. And I think like the highlight of the movie is when Ryder is like, tell me what you did. Tell me, did you do it? Like, and I, and he gets that kid, and he's holding the gun up to the kid. Like, I think that that's like really exciting. So, yeah. 
we should mention um, Denzel Washington was the first choice to play Garber from mm-hmm. Tony Scott. He's like, go back to my guy. And Denzel was like, I love it. Let's do it. Let's, yeah. We're like, we are Simpatico now. We are the best of friends. <laughs> and then uh, for the role of um, Ryder, John Travolta essays this role. Mm-hmm. And John brings a panache. To the, to the to the role that from the start he is at an eleven, yes, and they just go for it, man, go for it, and he plays Ryder as a neck tattooed, jive talking, pansexual lunatic. <laughs> just uh, just a genuine, just a genuine oddity of a character. It yeah. is just a a nothing has ever existed before and after. Much like this writer. He is a one in a kind human being. And I loved it. I give this movie an extra star for John Travolta. (laughs) I give I give John Travolta's performance uh, ten out of ten smiles. Like I'm I'm laughing, I'm having fun. I'm I'm looking at this guy's like, you know, I'm seeing this guy's like it'll occasionally drop some weird uh backstory wrinkle that's just insane like yeah, yeah. Like a dog shit on me in iceland <laughs> I, yeah and he's like he hits on denzel washington it's all it's amazing yeah like it is truly something so um we get through some similar beats they take over the train the goons mm-hmm. in this movie are lacking yeah, because they like give a- john travolta so much and it's a low point in this movie Yep, you wish there was just a little more goon love. You wish that, like, because, uh, like, Louis, God, Louis what a Guzman way... plays Phil Ramos, who's essentially the um, Mr. Green, Harold Longman, Martin Balsam, yeah. Richard Schiff role. We're, we're, we're robbed of a Louis Guzman uh, partying it up dive. in a bed of money. Yes. We need a bed dive from Louis. We do not get it because this movie, the third act, takes some different turns. Than any of the previous incarnations yeah. of this movie. <laughs> yeah, it gets the the Tony Scott touch. It, yeah, it's the Tony Scott, and we have Denzel Washington. Let's make him an action hero touch. Yes, <laughs> like, and let's make uh, John Travolta an action villain. Yeah, exacto mundo. Um, and then the other two goons are played by um, Robert Vatage, who plays Emery, Mister Brown, or Stever, and Victor. Gauzage, sorry, sorry, Victor, sorry, um, Victor, who is the Joe Welcome, Mister Gray, Hector Elizondo, Donnie Wahlberg. Um, mm-hmm. These guys are kind of like random diehard villains. Yeah, like, they're like they're even like sub. They're like just like like the uh, lineless goons. Like they're like the people that just like they're they're fodder. They're like yeah, they're fodder for. Uh, they're fodder for, you know, the Bruce Willis or the Wesley Snipes that's going to invade your uh, ship or boat or whatever you've hijacked and terminate you. And so um, the fascinating thing is that um, Gosh, Victor Gajaj, an Albanian-American actor, was spotted by Tony Scott when he was looking at mug shots. <laughs> for ex-criminals because he wanted real criminals to play these hijackers <laughs> it, uh, it's very tony touch and Which, uh victor is an unstoppable as well yeah he's a cool i like i like they get like 
I love that they get like one like moment. Uh, they get like a cool moment in the end where they get to go out like guns blazing. Like, it's kinda... crazy and Squib City. You gotta oh, hand it to them. It rules. Like, these you guys like... are dressed up in like eighty squibs each. They're getting exploded. Yeah, it kind of in a weird way it feels like that like they've won some sort of contest or they get to be part of a major blockbuster movie. Yeah, like it, it has like that energy where like they're around and like honestly, if I was Victor, I'd probably be like so stoked because like. That's like a cool. At the very least, you get like this really yeah. cool moment that you can like show your friends. Hey, I you got can to hang like, out with John Travolta all day. Yeah, squibified. Mm. Yeah, it's like it's like being you know Henry Zabrowski when he was hanging out with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. get a taste. Get a taste of greatness. <laughs> yeah. Also, I gotta say uh, one last thing. John Travolta. I just remembered what thing he reminded me of in this movie. He totally looks like Jazz Hoyt. The lead of the bikers in Oz. <laughs> he a hundred percent reminds me. If you've ever seen the TV show Oz, I love love that show. Great show. He looks like the head of the bikers and the biker gang. <laughs> um, also, we should mention that um, Ryder in this one demands ten million. Mm-hmm. It's five million in the TV movie, and it was one million in the nineteen seventy four version. So, inflation. Thanks, Biden. <laughs> thanks Um, thank you uh, Joe Brandon yeah goes by Ryder in this but his name is Dennis Ford Uh, why I don't know and uh, Denzel Washington's Garber is not Zachary Garber he is Walter Garber MTA subway dispatcher he's not even a transit cop he just works for the transit company Mm. so that should come into play later on when he becomes action hero how he knows how to do anything. <laughs> um, so, uh, Walter is called, given the instructions by Ryder, John Travolta. Mm-hmm. And um, what we learn, though, is that um, Denzel Washington is also under investigation for taking a bribe from a Japanese subway company. Mm. And his boss is played by Michael Rispoli who comes in and does what he needs to do. Like, and um, what we find out is that he did do it. He did take the bribe to pay for his kid's college. Mm. So he's like tainted, which is really interesting, but it kind of, he's going to be fired except the, for what transpires over the rest of this movie. Uh, But it it is interesting. Like I wouldn't like to see the mayor actually say like, We'll give you full pension retirement. Yeah. Instead of I, like you just get your job back. I would yeah, or I would have liked um like just like the fact that he took so long to admit it mm-hmm. when there was like a human life yeah. on the lot. Lo- that is like an interest like, you know, he's not as good as he thinks he is. Like it's kinda like a thing it feels like it's because like immediately they kind of flip on that and are like, You're actually a hero for saying that. It's like no, he's not a hero. He like waited till the very end in this yeah, kid almost. As a... still was, yeah, it's it's really interesting, and it's not. It's just not. It's it's interesting, but it's not fully fleshed out. Yeah, the implications of it, you know. And it and it's a and it's a bummer when especially like I think that's like the thing that kind of sets. If that's like going to be the thing that differentiates itself from the other renditions of this film, then. Uh... It wouldn't hurt to go deep, like just go all in, yeah. go deeper. And Let's you have get a little the more meat for it. 
Yeah, Obviously, it, you got the actor to do it. Exactly. Sorry. Yeah, stuffy nose, baby. Aw. We all got stuffy noses, as you can tell. Yeah. Um, helping uh, Garber in mm -hmm. negotiations is uh, Lieutenant Victor uh, Caminetti, played by John Turturro, who... Travolta just rolls with a bunch of Italian slurs and gets him off the phone really fast. <laughs> it is like, yeah, his character, like, uh, if you didn't believe people could be uh, racist towards Italians, this movie will change your mind. <laughs> yeah, like, change your mind. <laughs> like, I am, like, part of that, uh, the anti-Italian defamation league now. Like, I'm set. I'm, like, I'm hanging yeah. out with Giovanni Rabisi from uh, that We're really bad uh, Godfather. Uh, We're, um... We're bringing back Columbus Day. <laughs> no, we're not. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> we 14, went too far. 1492, a John Travolta slurs in this movie has convinced us. <laughs> yeah, Gerard, Gerard Depardieu's powerhouse conformance. Com compelling. I remember it so well. Yeah. Well, Michael Wincott's so scary. He was clearly the bad guy. Yeah. Really. <laughs> yeah. Christopher Columbus did nothing wrong. Oh no, never mind. Oh no, oh no, no. he did. Oh, no. He did. Let, uh, let me let me rephrase that. He did. Yeah, he's a bad man. Yeah, he was bad. Yeah. Uh, speaking of bad, writer, mm. like, a regular Columbus. The, he doesn't make the motorman run the tracks. He just shoots him. Mm -hmm. He shoots another guy. He shoots more people than Robert Shaw and uh, D'Onofrio combined. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but unfortunately, the um, the snipers shoot Louis Guzman early in the head. Oh yeah, because of like a like a mouse like a mouse uh, bites air. the sniper on the leg. <laughs> oh, we forgot all this TV. The TV crew. Uh, never mind. <laughs> in, the in the TV remake, we forgot them. Oh <laughs> yeah, the whatever. Who, whatever. Yeah, the, the, this terrible TV crew enters the tunnel and starts a bunch of gunfire as well in that one. That nothing said done. It's the only one that does that. It stinks. It's very silly. Um, but Luis Guzman is dispatched early, so we do not get any sniffles. We do not get any mugging. The promise of Denzel Washington looking strictly at the camera and giving us like a all-knowing uh eliminated. Hoisted from us. Hoisted yeah. from our. And Tony probably didn't like it. Yeah. It's, see, that's the thing. Is like Tony. There's like um. It's funny. Like the thi like the kind of like the hokey things he'll go for and the hokey <laughs> things he won't. Like yeah. he is like a hundred percent like uh anything that feels like the least like uh that feels like the 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 very tiniest sitcomy anything that's like feels like. I don't know. Like it just—it's not his style in any capacity. Uh, this is his. I'm making movies, mate. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I'm a maximalist. Yeah. Oh, that Jen did comment on that. She was like, "Camera's moving a lot." <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, <laughs> it's a little <laughs> frenetic. Yeah. It's it's pretty frenetic. It's <laughs> it's like um more than deja vu, but less than domino on the mm. Tony scale. I yeah. Would put it. Yeah, it's but, uh, yeah, it's it's up there. It's like one yeah. of the, yeah. So um, it escalates, but like similar things happen. They get off the train, they run the tra you know all the stuff, but mm -hmm. they are not met. Oh, okay. Here's what happened. Sorry, I've seen this movie twice recently, and I forgot this. 
Travolta demands Garber bring them the money, mm. which is different from any of the other previous versions. He does because Louis Guzman has been shot. He needs someone who can actually drive the train, like start and drive the train. Oh my goodness. Then Denzel gets off the train though and starts chasing after Travolta and his two goons as they get out on the streets. Mm-hmm. This is where things really change. No third rail, self-electrocution from Travolta. Mm-hmm. He's out. He's out on the streets of New York. Denzel is after him. Denzel's packing heat, too. He's got a gun. Also, to, yeah, to be clear, like uh, I don't know if we said this earlier, the, this uh, this heist, it's less about the money yes, and more about... That's true. Co- more about uh, causing a, a tiny little stock crash and reaping the uh, benefits. Reaping the... the benefits. Yeah, of said crash. Also should be noted, boy, talk about burying the lead. The mayor. In oh, this movie. yeah. So, a uh, big flaw in the TV movie. Mm-hmm. No mayor. Yeah. You get, like, the mayor's, like, liaison or, like, the vice mayor, assistant mayor, and it's, like, and he's, like, he's okay he's like he's like just a generic canadian character actor which um don't get me wrong a lot of those are great i love me uh i love me a uh who's that guy who's in a lot of like canadian dramas who's actually from america who was in the higher uh kind of a a larger actor maury chaykin yeah he's like you know i love me a maury thank you i love me me a a maury chaykin give me a michael ironside Yes, exactly. There's great, there's great Canadian uh, uh, character actors to juice for sure. But uh, the TV movie did not have the, did not have the 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 the, the wave the, the the monetary wavelength for that. Uh, and so, um, yeah, it's a bummer. I think that's one of the big bummers is the uh, lack of a fun Marin character, which is uh, very much apparent in this movie with uh, James Gandolfini. Yes, James Gandolfini, one of the greats, comes in hot as a like a post Giuliani, Bloombergian billionaire yeah. mayor who does not have a cold, but is cannot really be too concerned with much. <laughs> like he, he just wants to have a good look, and he's not running for office again, which is a fun twist. Like he's like, <laughs> so I don't need voters. I what am I doing? <laughs> Yeah, like it is funny how little of a like little of a shit he gives. He's <laughs> very funny, and he yeah, and he gets like reamed out, and he's he's having extramarital affairs, and he's like, but he he has that vibe like they have that joke at the end, like, "Are you a Yankees fan?" And he's like, "I, I what?" Like he's like so disconnected from New York. It's like, <laughs> yeah, this is a guy who probably hasn't watched a baseball game and. In- 25 years. Yeah, it's like the <laughs> ultimate just like rich guy. Yeah. <laughs> so he's like, you know, they have to go through all the negotiations, but he's fun. And the mayor is a key character in this story because mm-hmm. you got to have the ineffectual shitty mayor who is supposed to be the leader, but in this critique of big cities that this move, that these movies and this book is, you got to yeah. have the bad mayor. Oh, you gotta have a bad semi sleazy mayor. Also, love the um, shout out to the uh, character actor Frank Wood, who plays like one of the mayor's many um, skeezy assistants. <laughs> such a good, I love. He's such a fun New York uh, character actor. Like he's yeah. great. In, he's great in the Nick. I love him. He has like this very weird. He's a very weird like uh, 
like whatever the New York equivalent to the Boston Brahmin accent of that era was in that show. And mm-hmm. uh, it was a like a it was a crazy big. I remember like listening to I think like I think the Nick had like a podcast that was released uh, with concurrently with the uh, with the TV series. And he was interviewed in one of the episodes and he uh, talks about how like he wasn't he didn't uh, there wasn't an expectation for him to have a crazy voice. He just made that decision, and as soon as Steve Sodenberg heard it, he was like, you gotta have that crazy voice every time. I love yeah, this. Yeah, love it. <laughs> love it. And so, um, you know, back to the third act of this picture. Mm-hmm. The, um, boy, we are multitasking here. <laughs> yeah, uh, just for uh, for the listeners at home, Don is like uh, doing uh, some podcasting, uh, wiping, uh, doing wiping baby's nose, making sure she's not eating things, you know, making it all happen. <laughs> yeah, he's doing, he's doing the work. He's doing the work, folks. I'm doing the work, man. I'm like really hustling here. Yeah, I have to uh, like, uh, yeah, so, I have to make sure I don't eat things. Uh, yeah, I know. Stop, Pat. Patrick, don't eat that carpet. <laughs> no, it's so good, though. So good, though. The te- oh, the te- I, love <laughs> I love carpet. It's texture. It's tasty. It's not food. It's carpet. <laughs> it's tasty, though. Uh, uh, no, it's like they, they said Chapo that Felix played like video games through like 80 episodes yeah. simultaneously. <laughs> That's, that's, uh, that's, so, uh, that's what I'm doing right now. Yeah, some people keep stopping a child from eating inanimate objects. Yeah, some people can play Counter Strike while they're uh, podcasting. You can uh, save daughter's life on multiple occasions. <laughs> yeah, a lot of snot, a lot of snot on her face. Uh, <laughs> She's got a real stuffy nose. It sucks. It happens. Yeah, Gazuntite. Mm. Ooh, wait, <laughs> wait. I just noticed that. <laughs> She she robbed the MTA. <laughs> She's Longman <laughs> in this version. Yeah, I forgot. It was so interesting. It was an interesting choice for uh, to, to have a Scott. two year old play the role. Yeah, but it you know tightly sold it though. She has a great. Uh, yeah, she's got she's a great. Just a re- yeah. You get the sense that she's lived in New York her whole life. She's just a, oh, she's got that real New York quality. It's like a good <laughs> slice of New York pizza pie. Yeah, <laughs> she knows the difference between yeah. New York water and regular water. I know the bagels—they're better there because of the water. You heard yeah. that? <laughs> that? That's a real thing. It's a real thing. I'm sure it is actually. Yeah, it I'm probably sure it is. is. That, you know, when we, to, when we went to Ireland, we heard that the closer to the source of Guinness is better it's mm. true it's absolutely really? true like getting guinness at the actual facility it tastes it's i mean i like it anyway but it's delicious oh, and I, in dublin i'll tell you that man <laughs> like, oh god i love yeah i feel you it is well it's like the same thing it's the it's like how like a crispy cream you want it fresh you don't want like a you don't want like a crispy cream as, as as good as a crispy cream that's been out for a little bit can be sometimes you want the fresh from the you know how they have that like Krispy Kreme conveyor I belt? Like, I want it to like fall apart. Just fall yeah. apart. You know? Like like just like dissolve in your mouth. Like you yeah. hurt a little bit afterwards, but it's worth yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, I'm like sweating a lot. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah gosh. They're so tiny and they're like paper, so I ate four and it was bad. It was a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> it's hurting me. <laughs> it hurts, but I like it. <laughs> so uh, um Back to the third act of the movie. They have, oh, uh, they, Denzel Washington is now tracking 
the guys. They go up in the streets. He lets everybody know where they're going to be. Travolta's crew, the other two guys, they just get annihilated, as Patrick mentioned. They yeah. draw down on the cops, and they get annihilated. It's Meanwhile, a great, yeah, it's fun. Travolta's in a cab. He's going to the like Brooklyn Bridge or something. Mm-hmm. And Denzel steals a truck. It drives it in there. Oh, uh, we should also know when they're delivering the cash earlier and the cops get in the car crash in the most Tony way possible. The car gets hit and then flies off of a bridge. Mm. And it just it's so funny. Um, but they get to the bridge. Denzel gets out. There's a traffic jam. He's running on the bridge and he catches up with Ryder and they have a standoff. And Ryder's not going back to jail, man. You know no, that guy. No. You've seen that yeah. guy in movies before. I ain't ever going back. He's like a <laughs> he's like a wolf in the night. You know he can't yeah. go. He can't be put in a cage. So um, it comes down to it. Ryder pulls on Denzel, and Denzel blows him away. Mm. So in this version, Garber just shoots Ryder. Mm. Good helicopter shots on the bridge. Yeah, it looks great. But it's also like a little easy. Yeah, All of it's, it's a little, little easy, a little action hero y, yeah. simple, simplistic, like, oh. Well, that. and the, the whole thing about, like, you're a great man, that whole, I just, uh, that always, like, rings false for me in this. It's weird. Yeah, I don't buy their relationship, really. Like, the way Ryder sees it. Yeah. Like, they don't I'm... know each other. Like, and and it's like I'm fine with like Ryder having a weird you know interpretation like you know of this relationship, but it'd be nice for Garber to be like at some point call him out or something, just be like, dude, like this is weird. You're a weird man. Yeah, yeah. And so we're not, um, or we're not the same or something. The mayor tells Denzel, it's fine. Mm-hmm. We'll wipe your record. It's cool. Yeah, you it's save all the great. day. You save the day. You're awesome. You're Denzel. You're great. Yeah, you're you're the you're now the mayor. That's your yeah. job now. Uh, I give you the mayor's hat. It's yours to wear. <laughs> yeah, I forgot to mention James Gandolfini's been wearing a top hat this entire time with a mayor sash on it. This is the official. When you become mayor of New York, you wear the mayor's hat. This was Bill De Blasio's. Yeah, Ooh, there's a little pizza under there. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I just doffed my hat to Patrick. <laughs> uh, nothing funnier than doffing a hat. Uh, doff, you gotta doff those hats. If you got a hat, better doff it. I mean, that's how I, that's how I live my life. If you're not doffing your hat, get the fuck out of here. I don't yeah. want to talk to you. Below, um, below human. So, um, taking Pelham one, two, three. As we mentioned, this is, I kept saying 2008, it's 2009. It was mm. released on um, Jan- June 12th of 2009. And I was also late here. It's on Netflix. You can watch it. You should. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah, we it's a good time. Other, we saw it in the movie theater a few weeks ago. It was great. Yeah, fun to watch uh, and on the big it's, screen. It's a silly movie. It mm. isn't as like, it's not as magical as the 74 one is. But it's functional, if that makes sense. Right. Like it, it does the job. Uh, yeah. 51% on Rotten Tomatoes. Despite a strong cast, taking a Pelham 123 suffers under the excesses of Tony Scott's frantic direction and fails to measure up to the 1974 original. Feels like these Rotten Tomatoes folks 
are not thrilled with Tony Scott's style. If mm-hmm. I've learned anything over the last 15 movies we've covered of Tony Scott. <laughs> uh, Ebert gave it two and a half. Mm-hmm. Nothing, there's not much wrong with Tony Scott's taking Pelham 1, 2, 3, except there's not really much right about it. Okay. Yeah, it's a weird... Uh, I don't understand that critique. Um, Ebert commented, lead actors lack passion in their performances. Oh, John Travolta's angry, and Denzel Washington is determined, but you don't sense passion in their performances. They're not behaving. They're evoking. He called it less juicy than the 1974 and said the special effects are not an improvement. Mm. So, you know, um, um, another critic, though, uh, who has a name, I, 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 I'm, I apologize. It's, I don't think I can pronounce. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like, I just, right. I just, I just, I, I will butcher it and I, I apologize. Um, wrote on their blog, though, that they loved the film and said they thought it was one of Scott's top three films of 2000, saying the coherence in his films is not between the pages of the script. It's between shots. And his greatest mm. asset, both to himself and to cinema as a whole, is his ability to construct scenes out of shots that take place across great distances or of space or time, as in his two best movies, Deja Vu, much of whose running time consists of characters watching a past event through some sort of time machine, and his remake of Taking Pelham 1, 2, 3, where the two main characters develop a complex relationship despite not meeting until the end of the movie. Very positive. Very positive. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, if you're watching a Tony Scott film, at the very least, you will see, um, like, great form. Like, it's always going to be, like, a good, like, like the shape of the movie is always going to be nice. Um, We should also note Peter Travers' review. Because he, 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 this man, this is a man who could turn a phrase. 3.5 out of four stars. Oh. This movie hits you like 600 volts from a sparking third rail. Damn straight, <laughs> it's electrifying. <laughs> wow. Damn <You're>... straight. <laughs> He's the only rolling... down comes in Scott's handling of the passengers who remain frustratingly generic. I will agree. Mm-hmm. Could have had some more fun people yeah, on the train. It's... There's like two. It's like there's a uh, a horny kid who is. Uh, I kind of love that he kind of like is streaming. That's like a fun element and a little ahead of the curve too. I like uh, it too. Yeah, and I think that if you remade it, you would invest even more in the technological side of ooh, things for sure. Which we uh, talk about in just a moment here. And then, uh, and then, and then the only other one of like note is like there's a guy who he kind of looks tough, but. He's tough because he's a damn uh, Air Force. Uh, yeah. Part of the Air Force. He's also a stockbroker as to pee. Oh, yeah, that guy. I kind of like that character. Yeah, I thought fun. that was good. I think that, that I would keep that. <laughs> yeah, keep this poor. This guy who, like, I feel like he gets, like, shit on, like, a couple times in very yeah. funny ways. Like, yeah. the kid, like, a little kid pees better than him. Yeah, I, I like it. I think it's better. I think mm-hmm. I would keep that. Uh, the budget of this movie was somewhere between 100 and 110 million. Ooh. Oh my god, that's a lot right. of movie. <laughs> a lot of movie. Made 150.2 at the box office, which is not. Yeah, is tough when the budget's that big. We're 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 far beyond the the halcyon days of five million dollar films. Yeah, yeah. Henry Gregson Williams did the score. 
Um, mm. in this in this one though, Tony t- decides to use and abuse a remix of JC's '99 Problems <laughs> as his uh, oh, yeah. uh, demarcation point of the era and what was popular. <laughs> it's kind of like let's take '99 uh, Problems and like up. There's like a little like a little uh, uh, knob in the recording booth that has butt rock as on the label, and they they turn it from like zero to seven. Like the butt, like they they added like a like they add a seventy percent more butt rock to the whole affair. It was very funny that uh, the opening credit sequence, my Netflix was kind of glitching mm. in the stream quality, but it's hard <laughs> to tell if it was not a Tony effect or if it was the stream quality. <laughs> it's like I can't tell if this is a part of the movie. One. Is this part of yeah. the movie? Uh, Chris Lebanenson, uh, Academy Academy gang uh, yeah. editor. Back on, might, back in the mix on this one. He, he might be the guy who we've uh, watched the most of his work at this point. We've watched a ton. I mean, a ton of stuff this guy's edited. He's a great editor. Yeah. Uh, cinematography by um, Tobias A. Schleichler, a German cinematographer. Interesting. Who, uh, let's take a look, did, uh, works with Peter Berg. Oh, sh- shot bait. Did bait. did bait oh i uh, you know what i was saying to myself when i watched this ah, this kind of reminds me there's a big bait moment here this is really like really copying uh, bait style here it's a little bit of bait <laughs> i wonder if tony scott watched bait it was like oh bait this is you bait you made bait <laughs> oh bait, you made bait <laughs> uh but he works pretty exclusively with bill condon peter berg and george c wolf Oh, you know he's getting work. He's yeah. getting good to work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got a, a movie uh, called Rustin coming out later this year. Ooh, uh, and an interesting um, kind of bittersweet note on this movie that we learned in the book. Um, so unfortunately, um, right as this movie was about to release, John Travolta's son passed away. His sixteen-year-old mm-hmm. son, very tragically and very um, devastating. One could, you know, no, oh, yeah. only feel empathy for him for that, and that's so sad. Um, yeah. and uh, he stepped away, he did not promote this movie at all because he was grieving. And Tony, Denzel Washington, Louis Guzman, Totoro, Gandolfini, they all like agreed, they're like, We got you, brother. We we can you know do take take what you need. We don't need you for this. Mm-hmm. And apparently, they became so close that Denzel Washington, after this tragedy occurred, was calling John on like a weekly basis. Wow! Just to be a, just to be there for him, be a shoulder for him. And um, boy, if we didn't if we didn't love Denzel Washington on this show anymore, hearing something like that, being a good friend, mm-hmm. you know, and these you know you make a movie. You know, you're a family for this brief window of time, then you kind of disappear on each other. But to see that he like stuck around and was mm-hmm. there for his friend, very moving, and that's what you want out of this life. I mean, it's genuinely cool. It's, it's like gen- really and, nice, yeah. You know, in a time of real tragedy, to have to have a friend there for you, yeah. You know, who's also uber rich, successful, busy star is you know, and that's kind of what you want to hear. The, the mm-hmm. these stories. You know, and I think, and I think that that again continues what we've seen in these Tony Scott productions. 
-hmm. outside of maybe the last Boy Scout is a real camaraderie mm. that he created a world where you felt supported. You felt mm -hmm. like a team. Like he seems like, yeah, just a, like a beautiful guy. He, yeah, there, there is like a, um, there's an empathy. You don't always see it in his works, but I feel like behind the scenes, there is always a sense of empathy. Like we've been reading, uh, We've been reading uh, Larry Taylor's uh, shout out again to Tony Scott, a filmmaker on fire by Larry Taylor. Uh, but reading his uh, this book that kind of goes through the entire filmography of Tony Scott, you do get a sense that like he is just a very easygoing, nice and uh, kind of caring guy behind the scenes. Like Professional, it's really like, yeah, like he, no he, one. Yeah, not a lot of bad stories about him. No. No, I mean, he, like, pushed people, but not in a rough or negative way. And everyone yeah. feels protected. I mean, even your stories, like, I mean, I would have assumed otherwise, but even the people who were on revenge, they felt safe and comfortable in those mm -hmm. pretty charged, like, sex scenes, which yeah. usually you hear otherwise, especially from that time period. Oh, for sure. So, I mean, you know. God bless him. We love him. We only have one more Tony movie, which makes me sad. It's a bummer. We're getting near the. Uh, we might have to. It wouldn't. Well, maybe it wouldn't hurt to look at maybe like his numbers episode or something. You know, yeah. We might, who knows? Maybe, we'll yeah. See, we can, we'll maybe see what we'll, happens. Yeah. Know. Um. One fun fact about all of these movies, though, mm -hmm. after the 1974 movie adaptation was released, so we should note, um, the title, Pelham One Two Three. What does it stand for? It What it refers to is trains leaving a certain station, the Pelham station, at a certain time, which would be 1.23 a.m. or p.m. Mm -hmm. So Pelham 1.23. After the movie was released, the New York Transit Authority barred its planners from scheduling any trains leaving Pelham station at 1.23 a.m. or p.m. so as to not remind the public at all about wow. the existence of this pseudo hijacking that took place. <laughs> Eventually the policy was rescinded, but to this day, superstitions abound and you will not more than likely barring um, an heir, not be able to leave Pelham station at one twenty-three. Wow. To this day. Very, very fun. Love <laughs> like, it. I love that love, being part of the lore. <laughs> loved it. So, you know, you usually don't do this, but let's give out some awards this episode. Mm. We're talking. Let's start it off. The lowest of the low. <laughs> Best train passengers. Ooh, that's a good. I got to say, this is a tough one. You know what? I think I'm going to have to give it to. I really like the original old man. And taking a Pelham one two three the seventy four version, he's he's probably my favorite train passenger passenger, and then uh, the um, runner up would have to be Horny Shit and then the John Travolta taking a Pelham one two three. Yeah, I gotta go with nineteen seventy four as well. I like the old man. I like the old. I think the all of the trains have like a babe 
yes. who gets accosted by one of them. And I like her reading of the there's no one driving the train in the nineteen seventy-four version. Yeah. And I like um the hippie. Oh, the hippie's fun. Yeah. Oh, also, uh, I love the uh the lady who's like, Can I get off? I need to make an appointment. And then yeah. they're like, No, and she's like, Ah shit. Like that's yeah. such a good that's such a fun read. <laughs> yeah, it, it really captures the essence of cranky ass New Yorkers in the seventy four mm-hmm. one best. Yeah. Um best let's go with best Stever. Mm-hmm. So we would be between Wilson from Home Improvement, the girl and um the guy who's even less uh, memorable and, uh, than Victor. Yeah, or yeah, or the guy who's even less memorable than Victor. Uh man, look, girl is I like Tara Rosling. Uh she gets kind of a tough role. And I love her. The chain necklace is crazy. I love, like, why does she have a god necklace? That's insane. Let's hear, let's figure out her story. That's nuts. Uh, let's get a, a Peacock prequel miniseries about the tale uh-huh. of Mr. Brown, uh, of Lady Brown. But, uh, Lady Brown. Lady Brown. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you gotta give it to Wilson from Home Improvement. <laughs> you know, he's like stuttering. He's having, uh-huh. uh, he's like, uh, he 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 makes the most of the least of all the three. For the sake of argument, I'm gonna go to go to give it to Lady Brown. She give at least like she gets a wild arc and things to do. And that it's just cash unceremoniously, but it is at the very least interesting for the yeah. most underwritten character in the series. Um best welcome. We're talking Hector Elizondo. Donnie Wahlberg or Victor? Uh, I mean, I think this is. I got the. I, yeah, it's like, look, I got the most reaction from Donnie Wahlberg. Like, if we're, <laughs> if we're, if we're, if we're simply measuring in terms of reaction, Donnie Walls, but uh, gotta give it to Hector Elizondo. Yeah, He's so I'm good in you. this. I'm with you. Yeah. I gotta give it to uh, Hector as well. Yeah. Best Longman. Which oh. so we had Martin Balsam versus Richard Schiff versus Louis Guzman. Dude, no competition. It's Martin. It's Martin. Sorry, right. Richard. I love Sorry. I love you, Richie. Sorry, I love you. you, didn't get, you, you Louis, you had more to do and he got that bed dive. I think we might be having a different conversation. Oh, Maybe God. like truly the biggest crime this movie commits is not giving us the Louis Guzman bed dive. That dive. That is uh, put him in a tank top and let him hit that money. Yes. Yes. But yeah, it's Martin Balsam. He's great. Yeah. Phenomenal performance. Um, then let's go with best screenplay. Ooh, I'd have to. It's the 70, 74 one. It has to be. It's like, yeah. yeah, it has like there's a couple of antiquated moments that uh, I would love to edit out, perhaps. But, uh, you know, everything is a product of Japanese. But uh, uh, in terms of like showing, you know, the the panoply of New York, like the just all the crazy characters and just like giving you a sense of sense of the city vibe, which I think is like one of the strongest aspects of like the book and the story. uh, I think that one's the most successful. So absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Here we go. Here's a big award. Best mayor. And this is a two-movie contest because the 1998 TV movie blew it and did not give us a mayor. Um, so we got 
Maral from uh the from seventy four, played yeah. by Lee Wallace, or the mayor. I believe he. I don't think he has a name. Yeah. In um, yeah, he's the mayor. He's just simply the mayor, James Gandolfini. Look, uh, I know this is controversial. I know I'm probably gonna get hate for this. I got. I love the Lee Wallace mayor. I love the sniveling weasel Lee Wallace, sick in his Scrooge bed, just total, total, just a total wreck of a human being who's been utterly destroyed by his, t- his short tenure as mayor. Like someone who is just a a mere, not even a human. He's like a simulacrum at this point. He's just dying like, of the flu. Yeah, shell of a man. Stethoscope on his butt, like uh, <laughs> just none, nothing. When one of the funniest moments is uh, when uh, he's complaining about when the mayor complains about how uh, he doesn't like going out because whenever he goes out, people always boo. And then, like half an hour later, you he hear some out. like he that's how you hear some boos, and like the chief of police is like, "Oh, the mayor must be here." Like, <laughs> like it's. Just, like he does. it's like his bad signal is like people booing at him. It's <laughs> so loser. We lose. So it's so funny. <laughs> this guy sucks so much. It rules so hard. So I gotta give it to Lee Wallace. All right. Uh, just for just to be just to be. A st- I got it. I'm going with Gandolfini. He's great. He's great. He's really funny. He's he plays it differently, but he's like. It shows you what like how like as an actor. Some guys, he gets, he would get so, like, some guys would get so locked into playing, like, a tough guy. Mm-hmm. And he always is looking for shades of, like, loser in his tough guys or his, like, oh, winning man. characters and stuff like that. He he was, he, he was the best. He was so good. So he's good. so good. He's, like, and, like, yeah, he's so, and I love your, what you're saying on Gandalf. He can, like, he bring, he can bring so many different shades to, like, the kind of, like, the heavy role. Yeah. Like, his character in, like, True Romance or, like. And killing them softly yeah. when he plays like one of the slimiest, like skeeziest characters. He's so good. Yeah, but like he's yeah. also like in um the um David Chase's movie, the rock and roll movie. What was that called? Um, rock and roll movie. R- Rockstar? No, no. Um, not fade away. That's how like. Uh, oh yeah. And and he plays the dad in that, and he's awesome. Mm-hmm. He's amazing in that. And then even like in his when he plays Leo Panet Leon Panetta in Zero Dark Thirty, and he's yeah. really good in that. He's like, a, the, he has there's this scene that they get in the elevator, and he like looks at his number two guy. He's like, "Well, what do you think of those guys?" He goes, "Well, they're his number two guys. Well, they're really smart." And he goes, he just looks at him with contempt. He goes, "We're all fucking smart." <laughs> well like and here's the thing too oh god i can't i'm so glad you brought up other gandolfini roles because it reminded me of something i wanted to bring up where like um as much as i love this version of taking pelham one two three the spiritual successor to the the 70s version to me more uh feels like in the loop the armando oh. iannucci film which has that same acerbic, like, you know, like, repartee. Uh, that also has James Gandolfini in a role as, like, a bit of a, a military slime ball. He's yeah. so good. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, that's like, uh, it's that same, like, that same kind of, like, rat-a-tat, you know, kind of poking poking the bear a little bit, which I appreciate, yeah. which is, like, I think that's, like, a little, I feel like there's a little too, I feel like taking a Pelham 123, 2009, we're still in that era where we're not quite 
ready to like fully like you know kind of raz like like there's a little bit of it but like i don't know like i feel like they did they, they could have gone further for sure yeah i mean yeah i agree yeah like, and it, you know i think it's kind of still has that kind of like post pulp fiction gloss of like cool yeah like, everything has to be cool that's the thing it's like everything has to be a little we're still like um it's like everything has to be cool and everything has to be taken a little seriously. And like, ah, eh, just like go and have, you know, relax. Be like a Walter Matthau. Kind of. Yeah. <laughs> have a, that's, you know, have fun. That's fun. Like a lower energy version. Yeah. Um, but don't go too direct- low energy. Best director. Oh. um, You know what? Uh, As much as I love the... I think the... Um, I think the first movie's better, but I think the direction in the Tony Scott one is like pretty strong. You can't like I think like the just like all the cool tricks that he pulls off and like all those like amazing like you know crash sequences. Mm-hmm. Um, he gets great performances. For, yeah, it's just a, yeah, and like you know he sets out to achieve exactly what he's done. Uh, Sergeant's great, uh, but it's a little workman like. Like yeah. I would say, like the direction isn't like the as good as it is and as uh like competently shot and like you know it's like totally practical but it just yeah. doesn't yeah there's just yeah can't i I, I agree i'm gonna go with yeah. tony as well and um let's do best picture and then best rider best garber okay uh, best picture 74 74 okay yeah we're good yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> i don't have to go any further yes <laughs> yeah that's what i thought okay so best garber Mm. Man, it's like I'm gonna. I'll do it. Yeah, Matho. I'm with you. It's Matho. It's hard. It's hard. It's and I and I say this as someone who really likes Denzel Washington, and uh, I love him putting in his little like napkin, his little like I love like the little like the little weird quirks to his character, and I like that like you know they kind of allude to him being a stinker, like you know he maybe took a bribe in Japan. Uh, but there's just something about like the non. There's a nonchalance to Walter Matthau that's uh. It's, it's just magical. It's just yeah. a magical like performance of this just grump. Just yeah. Kind of like going about it like, right, you maniacs. Let's just do it. Let's yeah. get this over with. Like just like his 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 deadpan energy is just perfect. Yes, he's just yeah. so fun. He's just so fun. Uh, best writer. Oh man, this is this is a uh, you know what, golly! As much as Robert Shaw is great, Vincent D'Onofrio underrated, um, does a lot with very little. Uh, but it's Travolta, right? It's got to be <laughs> like it's like he's Travolta's just a lunatic. Um, so I'm gonna cheat. Oh, the book writer. What? What? Oh no! Oh uh, no! <laughs> but if not, if not John Travolta, yeah, yeah, I agree, John Travolta. Um, Robert Shaw gets him closest to the book version, though. Mm-hmm. Admittedly, and, but and I he's... think I like Travolta's swagger. Yeah, and like, don't get me wrong, Shaw's great. Like, it's yeah. like a close, like, but it's just yeah, but Travolta's just more fun. He's like really silly and goofy. Okay. So here's the moment we've all been waiting for. Patrick and I certainly have. After oh, yeah. this exhaustive run through the entire history of the Taking Pelham 1, 2, 3. We, separately, 
mm-hmm. have been get we are we have been given the rights to taking a Pelham one two three, and we can develop it. Everyone is available who is alive right now to us to work on this movie. How and we are producing it. Yeah. Separately, though, I'm doing my. This is a deep impact Armageddon situation we got going on here. <laughs> it's, it's what was that HBO show where like they get let a guy like make a movie? Like it was Matt Damon and Project Greenlight. This is Project yeah, Greenlight, but this is Project Greenlight taking a Pelham one two three. Yeah. Oh, actually, it's the stars. Oh my god, you ever watch the stars? There's a great stars show where they get two different directors and they give them the same script. Oh. And they have to like, and, and and I think it only lasted one season, but it was like, one was like this like indie lady, like a mumble Corey type lady. And the other was like Shane Dawson, who was like a YouTube goon. And it was like, it's a fascinating watch. It's yeah. an interesting, yeah, those both movies uh, didn't turn out too great. <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> no, no. <laughs> and as they always, it's almost as if making films under these weird specific constraints uh, can lead to problems. <laughs> so um i'll go first yes with this here's my taking of pelham 123 2023 oh i'm so excited we are abandoning every influence from the previous movies and we are going back to the novel source material the city is the leading character we're gonna do all the points of view we're gonna do the flashbacks how are we gonna do it a four-episode miniseries is how Just we're going to do it. Drop the damn ball. To cover all of New York City in 2023 as this is going on from all angles. The meat, It's going to be a David Simon-esque journey. Except David Simon has nothing to do with this. Oh. Because this is going to be directed by Spike Lee. Oh my god. Fucking God. We got Spike Lee. You son of a bitch. Oh, you (laughs) picked him too? (laughs) No, I did not. I did not. But that's better. It's better than what I thought. So I'm like, really like, I'm like, damn you. That's really good. Who better a poet of the city than Spike Lee to accomplish this? That's, yeah, that's inspired. God damn it. (laughs) My cast is stacked and it's weird. I love it. Give me the weird cast. In the role of Ryder in his suave ice cold mercenary stylings not the colorful travolta necessarily Mm. michael fassbender will be playing Ryder. Ooh, i love that that's a good i love michael fassbender this is like a role he would shine in and the difference is we are going to do a garber like character because i think it is necessary that we will add to the show that isn't in the book as much Mm -hmm. um Chiwetel Ejiofor. Oh, I love Chiwetel Ejiofor. So good. As Garber. Um, as Longman, the man with the plan who's got the sniffles. Lakeith Stanfield. Oh, I love it. He's, yeah, that's fun. He's a good, like, good actor. Interesting. Yeah, an interesting actor. A little younger, too. I like this younger, like, I like going the younger route. I like, that's a mm-hmm. fun turning things on in their head a bit. Um, in the role of welcome, hothead, Jesse Plemons. Yes, just a, I love a lunatic. We haven't really gotten to see him go full lunatic yet. So I want... Breaking Bad was the closest thing we've seen him do it. That's what I was kind of thinking on. 
Mm, interesting. I, I remember his character, but wasn't his character, uh, I'll be honest, I only saw half of the last season of Breaking mm-hmm. Bad. Well, he's so like a, he... he's a lunatic, neo-Nazi he... kind of guy. Oh, yeah. he's an evil, yeah, he's an evil guy, yeah. but does he get like a like a Michael Shaden in Boardwalk Empire moment where he's like, oh, I'm crazy? No, I don't think so. Don't okay. Think Although, I don't know if this even needs that. <laughs> no. Um. So, in the role of Stever, muscle, Ooh. lunkhead, I was thinking I I went really outside the box here to a man I, I think it. should win best supporting actor at the Emmys this coming year. Ooh. And give credit to my friend Nick for actually calling that out first. WWE professional wrestler Sami Zayn in the role of Stever. What? What? Yes. What? So we got to get a big guy like and I was like get a wrestler, but not one we've seen. Not not Batista. Yeah. Not um, the Rock or somebody like that or Cena. Let's get it. Let's sting. get a new. Let's get a new face. Let's get a new face in here. So Sami Zayn, who's been doing the Lord's work this past year on the show in one of the most gut wrenching and emotional storylines ever in wrestling. Ooh, he's the man for the job. Let's get I him in a movie. It. And as the mayor, my final casting: Paul Giamatti. Oh, yes. Geez. Oh God, so good. Like, yes, like... you gotta be the Polly boy. Oh man, the just him, just him, basically being his billions character. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're ready yeah. for it. Right there. Yeah, I mean, it's a little low hanging fruit, but come on, no, like, dude. Sometimes, sometimes you gotta give the people what they want. Yeah, sometimes the low hanging fruits taste the sweetest. But that's my HBO miniseries of the Taking of Pelham One Two Three. Oh man, I love it. I'm, I'm. I'm ready for the Spike Lee. If you're listening, uh, of course you're listening. You're of course you are. You know, and you know, yeah. we liked Jungle Fever, and you're you're on board. Yeah, you know, we're we we're stands blues. of clockers. Yeah, blues, <laughs> blues. <laughs> yes, blues. Uh, but uh, but like, yeah, but that's that's great. I love that. Um, really fun casting. I have two, so I have two. I got not one but two, and they're both movies. They'd be movies. Uh-huh. And so the first one I think I gave you a little sneak peek of Safety Brothers. We got to do a Safety Brothers uh, taking a Pelham. Like they're mm-hmm. like crazy. And so uh, for Garber, I was thinking Jennifer Jason Lay. Oh, that's cool. She'd be a fun, like a really fun, like a really burned out kind of tired of it Garber. Like, she, uh, like I'd like to see her like take on like an even more jaded Walter Matthau, kind of like a little like, oh, I'm done with this. Uh, and so then for the um, for the uh, little thieves, uh, <laughs> we'll do uh, for uh, uh, Mr. Brown uh, for, you know, what, we'll start Miss, uh, for Mr. Brown. Uh, we're going to do take a uh, 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 an influence from the TV show, from the TV version, TV movie version. We're bringing in Julia Fox as Mr. Brown. And she's in full on Elizabeth Hurley in Passenger Fifty Seven mode, just like Lady Batty, total lunatic. Like she's just she's just fully wild. Maybe she's her character from Uncut Gems. Things went bad with <laughs> whatever happened worse. to her character. Things went way worse. Shit, you can even do it from her perspective for all I can. <laughs> It'd be nuts. Uh, for the uh, hot headed Mister Gray, you gotta do Buddy Duress. You gotta do. <laughs> You're going the full safety world. 
I am like, this is a hundred percent safety. This is like a full on just we're taking safety, like this the the the, the cavalcade of safety characters. We're inhabiting them. Uh for Mr. Green. I love this Mr. Green. It's Barkad Abdi. <laughs> we're getting fucking Barkad Abdi, and you fucking know he is doing Barkad Abdi. He is doing the I, you know, Mr. Captain, he is doing he is doing the jump into the money. We are getting him. He survives. He's doing the money jump. Yeah. God, he's going to rule. And then for Mr. Blue, look. So we had Adam Sandler get his, like, career, uh, not revitalized, but, like, recontextualized oh, with Uncut Gems. He got, uh, with Uncut Gems. Like, that kind of, like, gave him a little juice. Put a little electricity into the into the battery for old Mr. Sandler. Gave so Sandman that- an extra 10 years of... Uh, yeah. uh, relevance. Yeah, like there's no way like Hustle gets a SAG award nom without uncut gems. Like, yeah. you know. Uh, and so I think another comedic actor of similar milieu is ready for that, like, that safety bump. I'm talking Ben Stiller. <laughs> Lunatic Ben Stiller. <laughs> trying to rob. And I want, I like, like it. I like it. Yeah. It's like Ben Stiller, unhinged. He's just as unhinged as Mr. Gray. Everyone except Bar... And that's the thing. Everyone is as unhinged as Mr. Gray, except Barkat Abdi, who's like, I just want to live. Mm-hmm. I just want to get through this. He's like, the this guy is in the storm. And Je- poor Jennifer Jason Leigh has to... has to kind of figure out how to do this without anyone Whether getting these killed. psychopaths, yeah. Oh, all these lunatics. And then uh, the mayor, it's got to be Wayne Diamond. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to right, be I want to see it. I want to see it. It's, it's so good. Movie. And then uh, my other version, this is my surprise one. I thought of this Oh, lesson. you know what? Ben Stiller paid tribute to his father, too, by taking on, taking Pelham 1, 2, 3. Oh, my God. Have his character be the son of that character. Like, or just have him be named Rico. Have, give him the same name as that character as Namaj. He's, not, he's yeah. not Mr. Blue or Ryder. He's... Rico Patron. He's Rico. I I want so bad for Ben Stiller to be named Rico Patron in this. This so has does, to so happen. Does, so does Ben Stiller. Oh God, for sure. So I want this. Yeah, who's, who's also who's also a longtime listener. Oh yeah, big fan. Yeah, you know, uh, he uh, he just he's a huge fan of the Replacement Killers. That's like his yeah. favorite movie, and so. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he, he heard we were covering the replacement killers, and it's like I'm I'm downloading all the old apps. I'm, I'm yeah, oh yeah, he's that one guy. He's that one guy in New York who's yeah. downloaded like sixty episodes. Thank you, thank you, friend. Thank you, thank you, whoever you are. <laughs> You're a good person. Um, so here's my other one, and this is like a totally out of left field. This is uh the David Wayne comedy version. Oh, no, <laughs> so, so like a sequel to Went Out America, like in the, in the vein of like Went Out American Summer, and they come together, kind of like a parody of a New York crime movie. Oh, okay. from the wacky, the wacky world the wacky of minds, the wacky minds of David Wayne in the state, and so it'd be like a fun like comedy and just like a goofy <laughs> dumb and like think of all the dumb characters they would have on that train. It'd be incredible. You know, there's going to be like a, a weird rabbi, you know, there's going to be like a, like a, a guy with a bunch of parakeets for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> He's got to feed his parakeet. A guy who's like 50 <laughs> pretending to be a 13 year old with a skateboard. Yes. Yeah. hundred uh, percent. And so in this version, Garber's Ken Marino. Yeah, and he and he just wants to get home and see his damn wife. Like I just I just want to get home. Oh man, you got Ken Marino as Gerber, 
uh, for Mr. Gray, the crazy one, he, Jason Manzukis. It's Zeus. Oh, yeah. He's he's being a yeah. total lunatic. He's doing lunatic stuff. Um, Mr. Brown, uh, I just put Paul Rudd here, and he'd be doing his like you know kind of his wet hot American summer care, like little smirks. And Mr. Brown, it'd basically be like there'd be two Mr. Grays. You'd have like the weird like a parody of the Donnie Wahlberg Mr. Brown and a parody like the Hector. And so and so Mr. Paul Rudd's just doing like Donnie Wahlberg. <laughs> Mr. Gray is Mr. Brown. He's got the bleach blonde hair. Yes, hundred percent. And even though it's like twenty twenty five or whatever, this is really it's like they're all like in their fifties. <laughs> they're all so old. Uh, Mr. Uh, Green, this is my favorite casting. Right, I feel like this is inspired casting. Jolo Trulio. <laughs> yeah. Just Harry Drolo Truglio, just constantly out of his element, having to do increasingly horrible things. And then uh, for the uh, final two roles in Mr. as Mr. Blue and the Mayor, it's a dual role. (laughs) It's a dual role. It's a dual role. It's Michael Showalter, baby. He's blue. (laughs) He's Mr. Blue doing a British accent. He's doing the Robert Shaw Mr. Blue, and then he's like his old man character, stand up (laughs) character from What on American Summer is the Mayor. He's like, I'm so old and nobody the loves me. And, the arts and farts and guys. Yes, he's the arts and farts guy. <laughs> I want to see it. I want to see it. These are all... Really... Oh, and Michael Ian Black is the mayor's aide. Yes. Oh, 100%. Yes, yeah. God. Oh, Come on, I want to see it. Like, boy, the, the all of them. I want to see every one of those. I want to see Spike Lee, Safdie's, uh, Show Wayne. Wayne. <laughs> Show Walter Wayne. All of you should just have a competition, like a gentlemanly competition, <laughs> yeah. to see who can make the most successful, like, insane uh, version of this story. story. Yes, because I want to see all these. I want to see like I want Lakeith Stanfield as Mr. Green. I want to see. Uh, <laughs> I want to see Wayne Diamond as the mayor. There's all these yeah. things are great. I want to see Michael Schulter's old man character as the man. <laughs> ah, I'm so old. I'm so old. I can't go. I can't do this negotiation. I negotiated the Treaty of Versailles. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's very good, Patrick. I like that. Oh, yeah. We did oh, not man. even cross over at all. That's how that's how ripe the taking of Helm one two three is, folks. I hope yeah. I hope you enjoyed that descent. The madness into the tunnels of New York and the madness that created it. Yeah. We've both been bitten by rats and we're feeling it. <laughs> yes. Oh man, yeah. I have I have rat fever for sure. And um if you didn't think it could get any weirder, next week we're doing a good year. Two thousand six. Oh, Russell Crowe and Ridley Scott go to wine country for a romantic comedy. Mm. Mm. So Man. we'll see. We're going we're gonna to have a lot to talk about. We might be imbibing a bit ourselves during that. Episode. Yeah. I got to see which, uh, what uh, celebrities besides Francis Ford Coppola make one. I got to, I got to, we got to see the whole panoply. We got to see the whole, like, I know Eric yeah, Wareheim like... has a wine. Does like Mario Lopez from Safe by the Bell have a wine? Somebody of that stature of celebrity is what I'm looking for. Yeah, I want, yeah, I don't want anyone. I want like the most famous wine besides Coppola. That, you know, that's that's its own thing. But like, if we're Snoop not talking Dogg Coppola, has one. Snoop Dogg ooh, has one. I, Thomas Hayden Church must have a wine. 
Put your, put your, come on, Tom. Thomas. Right there. Look, yeah, Sandman wine, whatever. Just have fun. Sandman wine. Remember <laughs> Sandman? I was Sandman. The wine. <laughs> Flint Marco's finest. <laughs> the Flint Marco Reserve. I did see that he was like, they're gonna think they're gonna they're thinking about bringing me back for another one, and they're gonna get it right this time. Oh God, oh poor Tom. I hope so. I hope so. Um, and then the week after, and um, Goodyear's on Stars currently, and also on DVD, no US Blu-ray. And the week mm. after that, we're doing Patrick's birthday episode. It's Patrick's choice, dealer's oh. choice. The dealer this this up is Patrick. We don't know what he's doing yet. We'll announce it next week. Maybe it's a Shrekathon. Who knows? <laughs> He's gonna make me sit through Shrek. <laughs> I'm gonna force you. I'm gonna put you in the uh, the, the the Clockwork Orange uh, eyeball machine, uh, and you gotta watch every Shrek. Make me make me watch the Star Wars movies I haven't seen yet. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna make you watch every Disney Plus Star yeah, Wars. Every I'm gonna make you watch the Mandalorian. Every time it's... you hear the word Grogu, you get ill. I swear to God, it's like all the president's men. It's not. It's Star Wars. Leave me alone. <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> it's hurting me. It's not Clute. It's not Clute. It's um, not Clute at all. If you thought this episode was a giant waste of time, check in with us at the Academy Academy Podcast at gmail.com. This is probably the longest episode we've done in a long time. Yeah. Or on Twitter at the Academy. We had fun doing it. I, I hope it. someone else did. Yeah. I hope you all enjoyed it. We thought it was a blast. I don't know if anyone has gone that deep into the entire world of this one story. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but yeah, we've got uh, some Ridley Scott to come, some David Fincher to come, some Antoine Foucault to come, the end of, sadly, the last Tony Scott movie to come. Mm. But we'll celebrate that appropriately. But boy, I'm tired. So for Patrick, I'm Don. We'll see you next week on the Academy Academy. Uh, I was... Uh... May of New York when Brontosaurus pepperoni was uh, a classic topping on a slice of pizza. Got 99 pounds, but a bitch ain't one. Oops, Hit me. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs>